when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah. Yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired, and the next week you're going to take another job. And I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question, our purpose is to win. Make no mistake about it. But it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt. Uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. You got control. Everybody just do your job. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast, presented by MyBookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? Oh, boy, oh, boy, we got a jam-packed show. We got two interviews on here covering four different SEC teams. We got previews, game previews all across the SEC. We got the Shane's Big Three. But before we even get to any of that, buddy, I want to ask you, what you drinking on? That's right, man. Pull up a seat. We've got a show for you today. Uh, I'm drinking on Sweetwater. Uh, this is Extra Pale 420. This is coming out of Atlanta, Georgia. I don't think that's where it originally started. It started down there at some sort of festival, and uh, now it's in a green can with uh, looks like a rainbow trout on it, so it's my kind of can. <laughs> uh, I think it's got around 6% alcohol, so looks good. Looks good, Mike, and I'm ready to get in some action. All right, buddy. Well, hey, before we go around the league, for anybody that missed it, uh, Monday Night Football, you know, they had their traditional broadcasts. On Monday, they did something unique. It was, um, I think they called it a fireside chat, and it was on, I believe, ESPN2, and it had mm-hmm. Kurt Herbstreet and Reese Davis, two, you know, everybody in college football knows those guys, but, you know, they just went around and had different guests on for different parts of the game, and the highlight of it, they had Charles Barkley, Peyton Manning, and those two had a little back and forth here because Auburn and Tennessee obviously playing this year. So uh, let's kick it over to just the highlights of those two. And, man, it sounds like me and Cousin Shane going back and forth, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the SEC starting, like Kirk said. Tennessee's got Auburn later in the year, Kirk. Uh, that was one of our bonus yeah. games that was given to us as a gift. Alabama and LSU got <laughs> Vanderbilt and Kentucky, I think. But uh, we you got, got Auburn. A&M and Auburn. And, um, you know, I'll be at Auburn. Charles, if you, if you want to do something right now, kind of make a statement about the game, I'd be glad to be glad to give you my thoughts. Well, you know, in the SEC, we only worry about Alabama and Georgia. Tennessee's <laughs> like on the back burner. Like, we got our hands full with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Like, we put y'all – listen, y'all call it a bonus. 
Y'all were like our preseason schedule, Tennessee, before okay. we get to Alabama Chargers. <laughs> Talking that trash. Hey, well, you know what? Hey. He's, Chuck's been a long time friend of college game day. I think, was this his first appearance, one I'm about to show? Yeah, right it was a Tennessee game yeah, in 04. Just, yeah, let's have a look at this, 2004. Look who has joined us here. <laughs> oh, number 34 from Auburn, Charles Barkley, getting that warm SEC road welcome from the ball. He Navy. called it that night. And for Tennessee, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a train coming. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you the rest of the story. Ronnie Brown, first series, ran over All-American Jason Allen, and it was like a train running over somebody, and it set the tone. So you not only picked Auburn, you called your shot there. you got to give you credit there. Well, you know what happened, Herbie? I went down before the game, and I don't know if Peyton ain't donating enough money. They, don't, they, they had all those little guys out there. Auburn players were 20, 30 pounds bigger. I said, these little dudes ain't got no chance of stopping Ronnie Brown and Cadillac. They're going to run all over them. And, Payne, you need to donate yeah. some more money to Tennessee because y'all ain't got no good weight room. Hey, I'm hey. telling you, hey, the, the balls are coming back. Jeremy Pruitt's the right guy uh, leading the charge. And I'm excited about Tennessee football. And we got South Carolina next Saturday night. And looking forward to getting the SEC started. I know you guys are as well. Follow up to Kirk's question: What is your current playing weight now? <laughs> hey, listen, I'm gonna call human resources on you, Peyton. You cannot be insulting people on television. You got to be. It's kind of, you have to be politically correct nowadays. Those days of talking about just being fat are over. <laughs> All right, Chase. So I mean, it was a great game, and man, I I enjoyed this little segment they did here, and uh, just love this back and forth between two Hall of Famers and from the SEC, Charles Barkley, Peyton Manning. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? Absolutely, man. This is those these two need a show. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, because this clip, there was more to it. You know, he was talking about Peyton needs to donate more money, and <laughs> he talked about. Uh, what was the one he was? T oh, he was, he was referencing the game that me and you were talking about. Game day was coming in mm -hmm. and Auburn smoked Tennessee. So, yeah, he's he's he was digging up. But he didn't talk about, you know, last year. But, you know, he did talk about the, the time the game day was there. <laughs> hey, well, like I said, we got a ton to get to. Hey, before we go around the league, though, speaking of NFL, you ready to do the latest Shane's Big Three? Let's do it. Shy Tuttle, the 
All right, Shane, what you got uh, this week on uh, Cousin Shane's Big Three? Well, i tell you what, Mike. The, the, there was a lot of bad things happening week two. I don't know if you noticed this, but there was an injury bug, and it was going around town. And I hope I hope this isn't a, a prequel to what's going to happen in the SEC. You know, a lot of these teams are not as physical during the, the fall camps because of COVID and uh, separation and things like that. And the NFL, a lot of people are saying because they didn't have the preseason games, maybe that's why. But I'm telling you, there was a lot of significant players go down with injuries. Uh, one of the SEC players uh, is quarterback Drew Locke, uh, the Golden Goose, uh, playing against Pittsburgh Steelers. When he's going to be down for a few weeks, but I'm telling you, there was Saquon. I mean, there was a lot of big names uh, getting hurt, so that was kind of the thing. But there was a lot of good stuff going on too, Mike. And I'd like to highlight a few of the SEC players that had a hell of a weekend. All right, let's do it, buddy. All right, couple of honorable mentions. Uh, I, I, sh- I probably would have put Calvin Ridley back up in the top three, but it seems like I had him there last week. I better hold off because apparently he's got a lot more good games to coming. But I did want to mention his uh, seven receptions, 109 yards, another two-touchdown game. Uh, he's currently, if you're a fantasy uh, follower like myself, he's the number one right wide receiver in the league right now. So I had to mention his fantastic game. Oh, wait a second, Shane. Was, is he on the uh, onside kick team? No, dude. I I was I didn't want to go into the game because it may be a lot of you know I'm drinking Atlanta okay, beer. I'm, I'm just asking. To, I'm just asking. That that'd be an I, oversight if he was. Uh, I didn't want to talk about that that crazy ending, but uh, that was a hell of a game. And maybe if they would have won, I would have put him up front. So instead, I put a Dallas guy up there. So okay, uh, just a little more salt in the wound. I apologize, but damn Atlanta, you guys know how to blow a game. Next one comes from Rod. Oh, comes from. I'm not reading reviews here. Rodrigo Blankenship, hot rod. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while since we talked about this man. He was four for four on field goals. It was just good to see him in those thick frames up there in Indianapolis, uh, banging those through the uprights. And another honorable mention, our favorite Quinnen Williams. Uh, you know the Jets, hot mess right now. Uh, I, I don't think Gase makes it through the season, but uh, he did. He was like the shining light there he had two sacks uh with the jets there even though they lost to san francisco 31 13 but i you know this isn't called honorable mentions this is called the big three so mike i want to get to who i thought had a fantastic weekend the first one uh third spot here i'm going to give it to my man cam newton Mm. from the dead a lot of people i mean this is we're touching auburn we're touching florida here you know, they were going against Seattle. Cam had an opportunity to do Cam things there at the end. Didn't quite win this game, but it didn't. I mean, it was his show. If you're watching the New England Patriots, it it's the old Cam. It, it's all about him. And uh, he had 397 yards passing, a touchdown, 47 yards rushing, and two touchdowns. Uh, just a, a fantastic game. Uh, just unfortunately, they came up short there, and Seattle was able to, to to beat them on that game. But next one, speaking of coming from the dead, Leonard Fournette. A lot of people forgot about him. You know, uh, they're used to seeing him there at Jacksonville. He's he's now down the street with old Tom Brady doing his thing. Didn't come in till late in the game, but when he got going, hey, buddy, 
12 carries, 103 yards, two touchdowns. He also had four receptions for 13 yards. Uh, I have him so high because he is on my fantasy team. I'm, I'm excited to see the future of Leonard <laughs> I'm sensing Fournette. sensing a theme there. here. sensing a theme. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but it, it, say what you want. The guy didn't play the whole game and still was able to get a, a, a hundred yards. You know, granted, a part of that was on a big run, but that's what he is. He's he's a he's still showing that big play potential. I just it was great to see him in action again. And number one, Mike, oh, wait, wait, Shane, real quick, just on Fournette. Yeah. One thing I didn't know this till here recently, but uh, in every NFL game, he wears his LSU shoulder pads from college. Yeah. I just think that's awesome. I mean, you know where his true heart's at. You know, it's, it's in awesome. Baton Rouge. I'm glad you said that. I did notice that the purple and gold peach uh, it was peeking through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'm sure he got fined for it because everybody else got fined this weekend. <laughs> but uh, it was great to see him out there. Last but not least, we talked about it. Hot, hot Lana dropping the thing. Well, you know who he dropped it to? The Cowboys. And you couldn't have this victory if you didn't have Dak Prescott. This guy did something that has never been done. He's the first player in NFL history to throw for more than 400 yards while running for at least three touchdowns. The the, the man was playing like his hair was on fire, and I'm telling you, the Cowboys, it took took a lot of luck, but it also took a lot of skill, and the Cowboys were able to get that victory. It had to be some uh, mixed emotions there from Jerry Jones, I was thinking, because he's like, hey, we won the game. My God, I got paid this guy now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, get get paid. Yeah, he had a hard time keeping that mask on, too. He was excited, you know, couldn't breathe up there. But, yeah, Jerry Jones is happy. Uh, Dallas fans are happy. Uh, That conference is a hot mess. But I'm telling you what, there was was some great play on both sides of the ball, and uh, it's just great to see these SEC athletes, these studs, making their name uh, in the NFL. I mean, bro, that's history, man. This thing, the first time that anyone's had over 300 yards and three rushing touchdowns was like back in the 30s from the Bills, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. this it's just something that's never been done. I just, it's impressive. Uh, Dak Prescott, uh, he, he's killing it, man. I got you, Shane. I, I, can, I can sense the excitement on the other end of the line here, but... We got to get to this action, brother. We got uh, we got yeah. about three hours left in the show. <laughs> you ready to go around the league? That's right, buddy. Let's do it. Now let's go now around, let's the go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, I thought uh, we should start here with uh, the two Alabama teams, of course, and their opponents. We'll get to them as well, but because we got Clint Lamb joining the show a little bit, so we're going to hit on Auburn, Kentucky, Alabama, Missouri. Then we're going to get to that interview, but let's start things here on the Plains. Get ready, Tumor's Corner. 
Auburn's coming to roll you. Final score, Auburn 48, Alabama 45. I guess Miles and I met with the media here on Tuesday. And remember, well, we all know that, uh, you know, attendance to start the season is not at capacity, but Auburn is the one that made the decision, hey, let's go all out, first game of the year, let's open this thing up to students. I believe they're the only ones doing that, basically entirely student body, game one. So you got to think that it's going to be a crazy environment down there on the plains, and they're going to need it to be if they're going to beat Kentucky. So Gus kind of talks about that. He talks about Kentucky's outstanding offensive line. And then classic Gus here asked about Joey Gatewood, if you know if guys like that should be able to play. He ducked, dodges, dip, dodge, <laughs> duck this one. Uh, he talked about Bo Nix. I thought these were some interesting comments on Bo Nix. And then uh, last but not least, you know, we've been talking about the offensive line down there at uh, Auburn all offseason. Can this group come together? It's kind of the key to the maybe even the whole team. And he mentioned that uh, Bradaris Ham may be the strongest offensive lineman he's ever had. Remember, he's had number two overall pick down there at Auburn. So they've had, they've had some really good linemen here. So let's kick it on over to Gus. Coach, you talked a little bit about that home field advantage. How is important? How important is it for you guys to be at home? And what's the message to the fans? How important they are, even though it's going to be a little bit less fans to make some noise and against a tough Kentucky team. You know, when the schedule first came out, you know, the first thing that stood out to me is we actually were at home uh, the very first game, which I think is important with all this new normal. And uh, so, you know, we're really looking at that to be an advantage for us. Um, you know. When, when it's uh, a regular game day and we've got 90,000 fans, there's no better place in all of college football as far as atmosphere than here. But um, the fact that the majority of our fans are going to be students, and our student section is always one of the best, if not the best in the country. I know they're going to have their A game, um, and they'll be loud as possible to help us win. So that, along with uh, you know getting uh, crowd noise piped in, I think it's going to be a pretty good atmosphere that's pretty loud. A lot of talk about the Kentucky offensive line in particular. I'm wondering what you've seen and what you expect out of that O-line at Kentucky, Coach. Well, they're, they're talented. They're big, strong guys. Um, you know, like I said earlier, the fact that they're one of the best rushing teams in all of college football in this league, you know, that's really what jumps out to you. You know, and if you look at both both their offense and defensive line, that, that's that's what some of their strengths. They got most of their guys back. And of course, we lost most of our guys you know, offensive front and defensive front. So that's going to be a challenge. Our guys are aware of that. Uh, you know, that'll, 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 uh, that'll be a big factor. So, but I'm real impressed with, uh, with their offensive line. And coach, if you could also speak to players transferring from one SEC school to another, should those players be allowed to play against a school that yeah, that could potentially happen this weekend with uh, Joey Gatewood? Yeah, I think it's just a new day in college football. I mean, you know, with with everything changing and and people moving from team to team, so I just think it's a new day, and um, you know, I think there'll be more and more of that in the future. There you go. Sorry about that, Gus. Uh, Bo Nix recently said in an interview with Marty Smith that you know through the ups and downs of last season, you know, there were points where he lost his confidence, he lost his swag, as he said. Um, when did you kind of see that come back last season? And what's the most important area do you think he's improved from year one to year two? 
Well, I'm going to say this starting out. I don't care if it's Bo Nix being a true freshman or any quarterback that went through that schedule last year. All right. Um, that had been tough on anybody, but I was unbelievably impressed with how he handled everything, the pressures and all that. And then, of course, you look at the Iron Bowl, which, you know, that's that's the most pressure I think that probably a quarterback can be in in a rivalry game and uh, the way that he played. Um and then, you know, helped us win the game right there, being a true freshman at home. And um, he's he's a, he's a different he's a different player right now. Uh, he should be. I mean, he's got a year of experience. Um, he's one of our leaders. If you saw that, you know, we, we uh, had four team leaders that our players voted on, and he got the second most votes. So that just tells you he's a team leader now. He's got a lot of confidence. I know him and Coach Morris, uh, you know, have, have worked extremely hard together. He's excited. Um, you know, Coach Morris is trying to build this thing around his strengths too. So, I think he's in a real good spot to lead us. Um, I think you'll uh, see him uh, definitely improve. But at the same time, you look at that schedule. I'd like to see a lot of these other teams play that schedule and see how their quarterback does. So, uh, but I, I like where he's at. Yeah, I got a question about Brodarius. I mean, he gets second team preseason All SEC, which is surprising to me considering he hadn't started a game and he wasn't like some superstar five star recruit. Talk about, I know you value him very highly, but why do other coaches value him so highly? How, how has his name kind of gotten out there? Yeah, you know, potential, I think, more than anything. And, you know, he's always been like that number, you know, six or seven guy the last two years. And, um, you know, I just think that he's uh, one of our leaders uh, up front. And I think he's set for a big time. Uh, year he's very very talented uh, he's probably as strong as any lineman we've had come through here in a long time and I just think he's set up for a for a really good year and I know we'll be relying a lot on him all right Shade so you know this was a little bit of a mix I thought where you get the coach speak Gus you get the you know pep rally Gus and then you know I think he he was really transparent though when he was talking about Bo Nix and it's pretty clear to me that he's kind of seen that uh you know, there's been criticism of Bo Nix. Not that the head coach should probably be reading all that stuff, but it certainly seems like Gus has seen it, and he continues to be just the biggest Bo Nix fan there is, which, you know, he's got to be. He's throwing all his stock into this kid's, uh, you know, in, in him being the quarterback of the team. But uh, what was your main takeaway here from what Gus had to say? Yeah, just uh, the, the the total buy-in. And, you know, it's, if it's a definitely a different theme than going into last season. You remember – Last season, Gus was on the hot seat, man, and that's what everybody wanted to talk about. And and now it's kind of like, I, even though I know it's close, you know, it's, but I'm liking the confidence I'm hearing from the head ball coach here. It's just, it tells me that obviously he's he's got a lot of faith in uh, in Bo Nix. He's got a lot of faith in this program. Uh, Chad Morris, I think, I don't know. It, it's confidence that I haven't seen in a while, you know. So I don't know if you filtered out all those any negative comments here, but uh, whatever I listened to, it it sounded pretty positive, pretty upbeat down there on the Plains. Yeah, and I think this is one of the games, obviously we've been hyping it up since it was announced on the week one schedule. You know, I've really got my eye, of course, on Tennessee, South Carolina. I think that just because it's the night game, just because the history, you know, they annually play, that could be the weirdest, wildest game. But this Auburn-Kentucky is probably – the matchup of the two best teams that are going head to head this weekend. So I'm really fascinated by this one. And, you know, we've been talking up Kentucky all off season. I'm not jumping off the bandwagon by any stretch, but 
I'm starting to wonder if, you know, that's got to be getting to Auburn. And they, they're they hearing it. And, yeah. they're, you know, they're saying, well, hell, we won. You know, we beat Alabama. We went toe-to-toe with Georgia. Uh, we nearly beat the national champions. No one else even really came close. I mean, And they, you want to talk about the Kentucky offensive line? <laughs> right. that's, what, that's what he wants to say. Exactly. So, so how motivated yeah. is Auburn going to be going into this matchup to where, you know, they've got to prove themselves once again? Yeah. No, I, I, I get it, man. And But, again, it's just that – I don't know. Just that he just kind of got that quiet, that quiet attitude. I mean, every time we've talked or listened to Gus, he's always had something positive saying Gus isn't like an overly positive guy, but you know, he's talking about the, the, if you remember on earlier pods, the, the depth of his defensive line. Uh, he, he's really, he's kind of talking about, he's talked about the speed on the outside. He's talking about these running backs. Now he's talking about Bo. It's like, he's, he's, I'm trying to find the flaws, Mike. It, 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 what what are the flaws with with Auburn Tigers right now? Well, for me, it remains the offensive line. You know, yeah. regardless of what he says about him being the strongest, I mean that's that's great. But you know, we're we're about to get to Mark Stoops' comments here, and everyone's touting his offensive line. And mm-hmm. what is the key to having a good offensive line? It's not having five five stars, despite you know a lot of people think that. It's more about these players having experience and playing together and. And being on the field yeah. and, and, you know, right before the snap, I mean, they don't even have to communicate. They can exchange body language or just looks and you know what's going on. And that's a major issue with me, with Auburn, and, and particularly going up against this Kentucky front seven that I think is going to be really good. And, you know, we're not getting Alabama A&M to open to, to work these issues out. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> we're just jumping right into this bad boy. And it's going to expose weaknesses quick. Now, at the same time, it's been so long since these teams played, you know, mm-hmm. position groups we think could be a weakness, but hell, they could be a strength. So, yeah. I mean, that's just what's making this this projecting the season so crazy and, and why we're getting into, I think it's going to be the best SEC season ever. You know, we put out a thing uh, earlier this week, who out of the top 25 teams, which one should be on upset alert and – Tennessee was winning, I will admit. Tennessee won the most. <laughs> but the second one was Auburn. So, I mean, I, I know we're going to get to predictions at some point here, Mike, but uh, are, are you are you thinking that there's a chance that uh, Kentucky can upset this ball club? Or is this, like, going to be – like, let me say this. If Kentucky does beat, ten, or beat Auburn, mm-hmm. just on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised would you be? With one being the least surprised? One one being the least, ten being like, oh, this is crazy. This is Appy State against Michigan. Zero. Zero. Okay. Really? That confident in Kentucky? So you think, what, what's the point spread on this game? Auburn favored by seven and a half. Oh, okay. I know what Mike's gambling now. All right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, let's jump to the other side of this one. Let's go to Lexington. Mark Stoops met with the media on Monday. Again, we like to, you know, pair these two together when they're going head to head. But uh, he was asked about the latest on Joey Gatewood, on facing Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn previously, and you know he takes that history into this matchup on that vaunted offensive line. And then uh, Terry Wilson he talks about, uh, you know, how far he's come, and is there going to be a rust factor? It's the same thing we're talking with Auburn and their offensive line going up against. Kentucky's defensive front I mean you could say the same thing you know all this hype around Terry Wilson and I you know I, I really am not trying to downplay the kid you know Shane's much higher on him than I am but it you know it's not personal or anything I I wish him well 
especially coming off that injury. I hope he's outstanding this year, but it's going to be tough going up against this Kevin Steele defense week one. I mean, you couldn't ask for much of a tougher task here. So uh, let's yeah. kick it over to uh, old Mark Stoops. Hey, Mark, just wondering if you've gotten any official word on Joey's status and if he's going to be able to play this week. Not at this point. No. No word. Some people have talked about some kind of gentleman's agreement with Auburn, and I just feel like that's something at this point, you know, if you want to dispel that or recognize that, is, what's the, what, is there anything to that with regarding Joey's eligibility? Yeah, you were cutting in a little bit about that. About it. no, there's no no agreement, no no gentleman's agreement. I'm waiting to hear back uh, from the league because it's it's uh, SEC to SEC school, so we're waiting to hear back from them. Obviously, Chad Morris is there now with Gus Malzahn, and he faced Chad's offense last season, and you faced Gus in the past. Just uh, I guess. Even though you know that it might be a different thing this year since you guys are the first opponent to play them, but having that kind of experience against both of those guys, how much has that helped your preparation uh, this offseason? Well, it'll, it'll help in, in certain ways. I think, um, you know, certainly uh, that that's a good tandem uh, there with uh, Chad and with Gus. Um, I think if you watch the film, you can tell uh, they're very similar in so many ways, um, even with the way – you know, they, they think the way they set up plays, the way they take their shots, when they use uh, some gadgets or check, trick plays, very similar. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm sure that's very comfortable for Gus and for Chad uh, to have each other. That, like I said, that's, a, that's uh, two very, very good coaches uh, working together. Um, when you look at Chad, you may see uh, a coach that, that, that throws it slightly more. Uh, the passing game is different. Uh, we will analyze the passing game um, from from Arkansas and uh, and even SMU <clears throat> and have um, along with uh, you know what the things that Auburn's done well through the years. So um, you know again just a, just a challenge. I don't know. Uh, we just got to prepare for a lot. Uh, two very uh, quality coaches right there. And uh, and I meant, meant to mention Kevin Steele on the other side of the ball defensively well, does a fantastic job. They're always a uh, a lot to handle. So they have a great coaching staff and, um, they'll, you know, we'll have to be uh, on point. That's for sure. A lot of good coaching and a lot of good players. Hey, Mark, I'm just curious. The offensive line's gotten a lot of praise this year. I mean, what separates a good offensive line from a great offensive line? Oh, I think experience is a big, is a big factor. Um, you know, these guys have seen a lot that that really helps. Uh, they were good a year ago. Hopefully, we'll take it to another level. Um, but um, I think it's it's very good uh, for these guys to have some experience and and to get all the different looks. Uh, you know, talent never hurts as well, and and definitely have some talented guys. But uh, but we're going to see that each and every week this uh, this year. What impressed you when watching the film about Bo Nix and what he's able to do as a true freshman last year, and what challenges does he present for your secondary and defense as a whole? Yeah, first thing is is uh, just the talent. He has all, all the talent you're looking for, that's for sure. Um, and then he's really comfortable on the move. Um, he really does a really nice job for a freshman of just a feel for the pocket, stepping into the pocket, buying time, and then delivering the ball down the field with some accuracy on the move. He has a, a, a very good, uh, that way, very good presence about him. 
and you know all the arm strength to make any any throw uh, in a clean pocket as well. So, a uh, very talented young man. Hey, Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's been over a year since any of us have seen Terry Wilson on the field. How is he a different player than than what the last time we saw him? And did it help him at all sitting out and watching the game instead of playing the game? Sure, I think he's just different. Just experience, even though. He didn't get the reps. He didn't get the playing time uh, a year ago that that he would have liked, that that I would have liked to have seen him have. Um, but he 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 missed the year. Obviously, that hurts. Uh, but he's still older and wiser and uh, more understanding of the offense. So, um, you know, it just, it just comes with reps. We got to have a great week, and uh, he's got to get out there and and uh, get started. And uh, and you know, so we'll ease into it with a road game at Auburn. Mark, you were talking earlier about Terry Wilson coming back. I know with major injuries, a lot of time it's the mental aspect that's as hard as the physical. You know, take that first really hard shot that he has to take after surgery. How is he doing with that part of it? Um, he's doing fine. I mean, you know, he hasn't been hit full contact yet. He's taking some shots. I mean, it's just going to happen. I mean, we practice physical. Uh, obviously, our quarterbacks aren't live, but we, as physical as we are with his, uh, you know, his, his – uh, with as much tempo and pressure we put on him, he's taking some shots just inadvertently. Um, but uh, I expect he'll be fine after he's got to take that first hit. You know, he's going to pull the ball down. He's going to run. He's going to scramble. He's going to get sacked. And, uh, you know, ball, ball security is a big thing. He's got to be very conscious of, of protecting the football. But outside of that, he's just got to let it go and go play and do what's natural to him. And, and that's what I've seen. All right, Shane. So, I mean, a little bit same with uh, Gus here. I mean, I think the Wildcats are, you know, quietly confident and and little stupid things like they got kicked out of the coach's poll because they added the Big Ten back. It's like these little things, I think, are only going to motivate Kentucky. This is the only ranked matchup, if you go just by the AP poll, in the SEC this week. So, I mean, there's a little bit of respect with Kentucky, but not as much as a lot of people are thinking. So, uh, what was your takeaway here with what Coach Stoops had to say? Uh, same old Stoops. Um, didn't really, I mean, he didn't really reveal too much. The only thing that was a little disheartening, I would say, would be the just a little bit of the of, of the lack of contact with Terry, you know, because that is something he's not done in a long time. And, mm-hmm. and you know, shit, Gus and Coach Steele, man, all they, they know that. So... They're 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 going to be you're going to talk about some damn pressure. They're going to be bringing the house. There's, that box is going to be loaded. They're going to force Terry to throw the ball, and uh, so that part right there, you know, because he hasn't been he hasn't had contact in a long time. So yeah, and and you know, it's one of those deals too. I think where you know you can have all the confidence in the world that you, that you know he could be a hundred percent medically cleared, mm-hmm. but you just don't know until you take that first hit, you know what? And, and the backup right now, if Joey Gatewood is not eligible, is going to be damn, I believe Bo Allen, they've named the true freshman. So, I mean, it's a steep, steep drop here. You're talking team leader, you know, a guy they're hyping up in Lexington to a true freshman. Um, You you know, they're, they don't got much behind him. That's why they brought in Joey Gatewood. So I'm hopeful that Joey Gatewood can play in this hell, especially in this one, but for the entire season, you know what? And sometimes you need that one game, you know, because I, I was just being honest. When I blew my knee out the the first time, it was 
it's it's just crazy because you're psychologically you think it's going to happen again, mm-hmm. and it's going to happen on the very next time you get hit, and it takes a while. It takes a couple of games to get them jitters out where you're not constantly thinking about it and, and trying to, you know. I don't know. I mean, you're putting on extra braces on before a game. It's just a constant reminder that you had some shit you had to deal with. So I think Terry, you know, it it seems like everything we've read that he's just as electric electrifying as he was when he was here, you know, a couple seasons ago. Mm -hmm. So I just, it's going to take a couple hits. It's going to take a couple of uh, scrambles to, to get that confidence back. And then when he's not thinking about that leg, then he can focus on, on the task at hand. And that's, that's beating a very tough Auburn tiger team. All right, Shane, next let's uh, skip it on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where Nick Saban met with the media here recently and uh, talked up Mac Jones. And, you know, I think this is clearly a case where, you know, maybe if there was a spring football and a normal off season, maybe Bryce Young would have pushed him a little bit, but, you know, based on all indications, Mac Jones got this thing on lockdown, and that's the quarterback they're comfortable with. That's the one they're going to roll out with. So I, th- I think that's important to note. They're open to playing some freshmen, clearly. They got Malachi Moore, defensive back, Will Anderson, linebacker. Got them starting on defense, two true freshmen, according to the depth chart. Now, Nick Saban could be playing a little trick on us here. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> And then I, I just thought, you know, we haven't used many player quotes here lately, but Dylan Moses, my God, he got me fired up. He's uh, This is kind of on theme with these Alabama players all camp. I mean, they're on a damn mission here. Yeah, Mac has had a really good camp, uh, really played well in the last scrimmage. Um, done a good job of taking a leadership role. I think he's playing with a lot of confidence. I think our players have confidence in him. Uh, so, you know, we're pleased with his development. Uh, I think it's important that you know, Mac plays within himself, executes what we need him to execute in terms of distributing the ball and uh, just do his job. And uh, I think the players around him know how important it is for them to do their job so the quarterback can function effectively. And I think it's going to be a combination of uh, all the guys that we have, because we do have some experienced players on offense that um, are very capable of uh, doing things the right way. So it makes it a little easier for the quarterback. But I will say again, you know, our entire offensive group is going to get challenged by a very good defensive team. And and a follow-up to Cecil on Mac, how has he kind of grown and built on all the experience he got to get in unfortunate circumstances late last season? Well, I, I think obviously the more knowledge and experience you get from playing, um, the mistakes that you make and the good plays that you make uh, all sort of help you develop confidence and um, sort of increase your chances of playing with consistency by making uh, better choices and decisions. So uh, I think that shows in Max play, and, um, you know, we're very confident that he can do a good job for us. Yeah, Nick, um, you have two starter, uh, two freshmen listed at starter on defense. How confident in, in their ability are you heading into the season, and what have they really shown you um, in camp? In Will Anderson and Malcolm Moore. and Right. Well, you know, both players have um, had really good camps. Uh, They're very um, good competitors. Football is important to them. Uh, They're smart. Uh, They were able to learn and grow, you know, in the system uh, very quickly. Um, And we needed some 
players to come through as young players in certain positions. And uh, these two guys certainly, you know, did that and did a very good job. So I'm sure this first game is going to be um, a, a challenge uh, in terms of their opportunity to go out there and stay focused on, you know, doing their job. And, um, you know, we're going to help them every way that we can so that they can, you know, play well. Nick, when you guys take the field Saturday, how happy will you be for a guy like Dylan Moses who has fought so hard to get back and, and play this weekend? Well, I, I think that, you know, one of the reasons that it was so important to us, to me personally, uh, is for the players to be able to come back and play and create value for themselves. And, you know, in a, in a case like Dylan, who missed last season due to an injury, um, probably – even more important to a guy like that to be able to come back to gain confidence to show people that he's uh, healthy and the same kind of player or better than he was before. Uh, I think that's something that um, is really a positive thing for him and something that as a coach, you know, you always feel really good about uh, seeing guys be able to uh, sort of get rewarded for all the hard work they did to be able to come back, uh, lead the team uh, and, uh, be an outstanding player and have a great year and create value for themselves. Dylan, how do you like the challenge of this 10-game conference game-only schedule? Oh, I, I love it. You know, I love it. Um, it's, a de it's definitely a challenge. Um, it's something that's never been done before. And uh, with my mindset, you know, I feel like, you know, we take this season one game at a time and do what we need to do. You know, one win one game of the season, one and zero every week. You know, we have the possibility to be the greatest team ever. You know, and that's what I want. You know, that's my that's my end goal. You know, like anybody and anybody would think that I, you know, I'm, you know, focused on like the individual awards and all that. But ultimately, it's not even that. Like I really want like a team success. You know, and ultimately that's what it is. I want to win a championship. Hey, Dylan. Uh, Dylan, you had a, a difficult year last year watching the games from the sideline. Mm -hmm. What would you like to see different? from your defense this season? Uh, as far as like our defense, I just want to see toughness, grit. Um, I want to strike fear in my opponents. That's I want it to be, you know, just like how I used to be, you know, as far as like our coach would go. That's, how, that's what Alabama's identity is, and, you know, and I want to bring that back. All right, Shane. So, I mean, Dylan Moses got me fired up some football. How about you? Yeah, dude, I'll tell you, man. And, and if anybody gets you run through a brick wall with everything that Dylan's had to go through, it's that guy. And mm -hmm. uh, this, this, I'm telling you, man, this Crimson Tide team, the, it, they have a chance to be extremely special this year. I think a lot of people, you know, are expecting them to have a good season, but I think they have all the pieces down there to have a season like the LSU Tigers and just run this thing. That's what's scary. Yeah, and they, and they really talked up, at least Nick Saban did, and I, I heard Mac Jones um, also on Tuesday spoke. But, you know, they really sp talked up Missouri defense and all this and, and what a test they'll be and how many great players they got. But, hell, Nick Saban even called Missouri a bowl team. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if he's talking about this year, last year. Hell, last year they were ineligible. But do you really think they, they think they're going to get tested here by Missouri or is this just, just more coach speak here? Oh man, this coach speak. You know, he could be going against Chattanooga. He's going to talk him up. You know, I'm sure we've got that clip somewhere. So, yeah, no, he's he's not worried about Mizzou. And but you know, again, it's it's not UTC. It's the this mm -hmm. is a Mizzou Tiger team that 
who knows? I mean, any given Saturday, you you know, if you come in just overly confident and you don't do your your game prep, yeah, I mean, you could you could find yourselves in a hot mess. But Nick Saban's been around the block long enough to 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 know that he can't have the this team overlook those goals. But I guarantee you, it feels like one of those games that we're going to come into. Alabama's going to dominate, but Saban's still going to be pissed at the end because there were a lot of players on that team that may be looking to uh, some of those tougher matchups. But again, any given Saturday, you, you saw it last year, and I, I hate to keep bringing it up, but that South Carolina, Georgia, if that ain't a benchmark to what could happen if you're not ready, then I don't know what is. Or Missouri, Wyoming. I mean, that was that was a stunner or hell. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. talk about hate to keep bringing it up for you, Georgia State, App- Tennessee, you know what I mean? So, Or App State and South Carolina. I mean, we thought they were going to steamroll them, you know, and Coach Eli was right there. He knew that – I mean, if you looked at talent top to bottom, South Carolina and App State or Appy State, you like to call them, <laughs> uh, you know, that it was no question. Now, I know South Carolina was injured. You know, they had a lot of – even Edwards got banged up on that one, you know. But it still – it shouldn't have been a contest. It shouldn't have been a ball game. They were ready. South Carolina wasn't. So that's why they, they won. So I guarantee, Coach, I mean, we're going to get to Eli's comments here in a minute, but – I mean, he's 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 got a rough hand, but he's coming prepared. He's going to be ready. He ain't even telling who the quarterback is, Mike. You know, mm-hmm. any any little piece of uh, evidence he can he can keep away from saving. That's what he's doing right now. So yeah, yeah, it could happen. Hey Shay, well before we move on, let's uh, remind the listeners we're brought to you by MyBookie, the online sports book. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today. All new customers receive a hundred percent. Deposit match up to $1,000. That means if you're a new customer to mybookie.ag and you put in the promo code that SEC, that's T H A T S E C, they will match your initial deposit up to $1,000. So you could potentially start with $2,000 to gamble on, Shane, immediately. And we mm. got this college football firing up. We're going to get into some, some picks here. But man, I'm just fired up that. College football is finally here, and the only thing that makes football better, in my opinion, is drinking some beer and betting all these games. So <laughs> head on over to mybookie.ag. Once again, that promo code is that SEC over at mybookie.ag. Thousands of cross sports wagers, props, parlays, all that. Winning season begins today only at mybookie with that promo code that SEC. Well, let's jump on down there then, Columbia, Missouri, where. Am I- Eli Drinkwitz met with the media on Tuesday, and hey, we do have a bit of good news here, though. You know, this was something we talked about last week, where, you know, they're going to have 12 guys out for COVID. Well, apparently there was some error in the testing, and they're getting five of those guys back. So they're still down seven, but that hell, that's better. You're going to need every guy you can against Alabama. So you're getting five five guys back. Now, of course, they're not naming these guys just for, you know, health reasons i don't i don't even think they're allowed to legally say who they are but hopefully they're the five best of those 12 (laughs) can you pick (laughs) (laughs) but uh coach also talked about uh, missouri being you know how close to the scholarship limit they are with with losing some guys and they're on uh sanctions right now thanks to not even barry odom but the coach prior to him uh you know there was a there was an issue there and on if they're willing to play multiple quarterbacks this week, I mean, Drinkowitz was in a good mood here at the beginning here talking about what's it going to take to beat Alabama. 
And then I thought this was really interesting. He's talking about the damn over-under win total, and his goal is to obviously exceed that this year. Hey, Eli, have you, has your team been dangerously close to any of those position threshold minimums that the SEC announced last week? Has that been a concern? We like to live dangerous, Dave. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we got 69 scholarship players, Dave, so we're dangerously close to every threshold. Uh, so, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but I, we're not any closer today than we were in the past. Hi, Eli. How much consideration, I guess, have you given to playing multiple quarterbacks within one game? A lot. Is that something we can expect on Saturday? I can't manage your expectations. Yeah, Coach, uh, what, what's it going to take to beat Alabama? What, what does your team need to do? Yeah, we're going to have to play physical football. Uh, they, they, they are a tremendous football team in the trenches, and we're going to have to match that physicality. We're going to have to play fundamentally sound, be great tacklers, um, and we're going to have to uh, protect the football. Uh, and really, those are the, the areas that when you watch, you know, an Alabama coach football team, uh, that's what they do. And you're going to have to beat them at their own game. You're not going to trick them. Uh, you're, you're not going to, you know, uh, get lucky against them. You're going to have to go out there and you have to execute at a high level. You're going to have to play fundamentally sound. You're going to have to protect the football. And that's a challenge that we've actually been working towards all fall camp. I mean, that's a challenge every day at practice is that you go out there and you execute, you, you, you know, you practice fundamentally sound, you take care of the football. And those are the things that we, that we do every single day. And so that's, uh, you know, obviously this is a team that competes for national championships. I think they're ranked number two in the country, which I mean, in my opinion, it's probably too low, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, it's going to be a great opportunity to see where we're at and where we have to be in order to uh, compete in the future. And, and uh, you know, I, for one, and our coaching staff, and I know the senior leadership and the captains on this football team are excited about the opportunity to compete. Uh, and we're excited about the test that it's going to be. Hey, Eli, um, I, I was just kind of curious, uh, from your perspective, what, what would constitute a successful 2020 season from a football and off-field perspective? Wow. Um, hmm. You know, I think for our football team, uh, you know, we're laying a foundation for a program that, that I hope to be here for a long time for. And uh, anytime you're building a program, it starts with, uh, you know, living by your core values, you know, on a daily basis and, and, and showing those core values when you compete. So obviously for us just to always compete in everything we do. Um, we want to be a competitive football team. We want to compete in every game. Uh, you know, we want to continue to build trust and respect within the community and within the university and represent this university in the right way. Uh, you know, we want to do more than what's expected. I think some teams probably, or I think, you know, I saw where the over under for us is, is three wins. So obviously we want to do more than what's expected and we want to enjoy the journey as we go along. As always, our stated goal is to represent the university with class, integrity, and academic excellence. So we'd like to make sure that our students or our student athletes do great in the classroom and, and uh, do everything the right way and, and then represent this university with class. Uh, and then, you know, we'll let the games take care of themselves. Um, you know, we've, we've got tremendous challenges ahead of us, uh, you know, on that schedule. But right now I'm focused on this challenge on Saturday and where that goes and, and whatever happens Saturday is not going to define the season one way or the other. It's just going to be the starting point 
of where we have to go. And, and no matter what happens on Saturday, we know that Sunday is going to be all about improving and getting better. Uh, and that's really my focus right now. Well, Shane, you know it's 2020 when we got SEC coaches talking about the uh, over-under win total uh-huh. in a damn presser here going into the season. But, uh, hey. What was it, three? <laughs> three. So they're shooting yeah. for over that. But, I, of course, you know, this is a 10-game SEC schedule. So it's a little bit different than a normal, you know, a normal three-win, four-win season would be horrible in the SEC. But I don't know. I, I It just – you can sense the tone here with Alabama, and it's almost like – you know, if they go undefeated, but they almost lose a couple games, it's almost like that's a disappointment. Where And then the other end of the spectrum, it's like, well, we're trying to field a team. We're trying to we're trying to get to 500. So I think it just gives you a sense of what these, you know, these two teams are just on different tiers right now. Golly, Mike, this sounds like me if I was a coach. Well, you know, I want you guys – I mean, I have high expectations, but Vegas – only thinks I can win three of these things. So, <laughs> you know, let's put our reality hat on. And, and so, you know, Eli's got an uphill battle and he's got a little bit of a rebuild up there. He's got to deal with, but you know, I really like what he did with the, with the transfers and uh, the Juco route. Uh, you know, he was able to get, he was able to patch up a few holes. So I think this team's going to be better than a lot of people think, but you know, it just, you're going against the team. You're going against Alabama. A lot of people have predicted, myself included, as the number one team in the nation. So uh, it's a, it's a tall it's a tall glass of water, Mike. But if you know Eli's, he knew what he signed up for when he came over, and he ain't going to back down. But three wins is expectations, man. That's that's the kind of program we have right now. Mm-hmm. And if they are able to make this a ball game, I'm not saying win. But if they make it a ball game, I think that's going to be huge. That'd be a huge win for them. Hey, Shane. Well, at this point, let's uh, kick it over to our interview here with Clint Lamb, mm-hmm. who covers uh, Alabama for USA Today Sports with the Roll Tide Wire. And he's a radio host at uh, The Ump in Athens, Alabama. And he also hosts the Bama Beat podcast for Tuscaloosa News. He really went on a deep dive. You can tell, you know, he knows Alabama in and out. He also covers Auburn for Saturday Down South, where I work. So, hey, give us some insight under the Tigers. So let's kick it over to our interview with Clint Lamb. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by Clint Lamb. He's going to give us a lowdown here on Alabama and Auburn. And, of course, you can follow him at Clint R. Lamb on Twitter. And this guy, I mean, he's one of the hardest working guys, probably in the entire state of Alabama down there, managing editor for the Roll Tide Wire of USA Today Sports. He's a radio host with The Ump down in uh, Athens, Alabama, and he's the host of the Bama Beat podcast, which is with the uh, Tuscaloosa News, and hell, he even writes for Little Auburn here for Saturday Down South. So Clint, thanks so much for taking the time from your busy schedule to, to join the podcast here. No problem at all, man. Glad to be here. Glad we're finally reaching that point where we have a little bit of SEC football to talk about. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank goodness. I mean, imagine our lives if we didn't have this. I don't know about you, but... Uh, that's like my own personal hell right there. Yeah, and I got to be honest, the emotional roller coaster of going through the off season, you know, you, you just start getting to a point where you're confident the season's going to happen, and then something drastic occurs, and then you start getting kind of pessimistic, and then you know you start trying to build back up that hope, and and we're we're here. I mean, it, it, it's happening. Whether some people want it to or not is beside the point. We're moving on, and and there's still a lot to navigate as far as teams and such. Uh, you know 
coming down with, with some cases and having to postpone or cancel games. We're going to be dealing with that all season. But what I do like is the fact that we're putting our heads down and we're moving forward. And, and that's, you know, very promising. And it's time for the SEC to join everybody else and playing a little college football. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just dive right into the football, starting with uh, Alabama, of course. I wanted to get your thoughts on just your confidence level that Alabama's defense is going to be better this season after, you know, they were still very good last year, but it just wasn't quite up to that Nick Saban Alabama standard. So how confident are you that they can get back to that level this year? Uh, Pretty confident, actually. Uh, And, you know, Dylan Moses and losing him at the time that they did, losing that experience factor that he brought to the inside linebackers, uh, and then you had Joshua McMillan, another guy who was supposed to be a fifth-year senior uh, last season. He goes down with an injury as well. You go from having two super experienced guys there in the middle of your defense to having two true freshmen in Christian Harris and Shane Lee. And that just singular uh, problem creates a whole lot of headaches, you know, as far as your defense are concerned. Your, your off-ball linebackers are supposed to be your communicators and kind of keeping everything together and Shaheen Carter and Xavier McKinney did a fantastic job of stepping up and, and kind of assuming those roles last season. But when you combine that with, you know, just the, the inexperience along the defensive front, a guy like LeBron Ray, who's supposed to be one of your rocks and experienced players, he goes down with an injury. And now you've got a lot of true freshmen in there rotating. What that did was it created, uh, A, some continuity heading into this season and got a lot of those young guys experience. So last year, some of those weaknesses – whether you're talking about the defensive line and the lack of experience, whether you're talking about the inside linebackers and the lack of experience there, now they're strengths of, of the team. You know, I, I would argue that Alabama, from a defensive line perspective, is eight or nine deep with guys that they trust that can rotate in and make an impact on Saturdays. That's, you know, fantastic news. You get LeBron Ray back. You did lose Raquan Davis, but you got Tim Smith, a five-star defensive lineman who's been able to crack the top two as far as the depth chart's concerned. You have Dylan Moses coming back uh, along with Joshua McMillan on top of getting Christian Harris and Shane Lee Black. Plus, you throw in Ollie Cahoe. Uh, Jalen Moody was a guy who was surprisingly listed ahead of Shane Lee on the depth chart. So I, I think they're in very good spots there. That should help. Uh, you have a lack of true experience out there on the edge with your outside linebackers uh, with the losses of, of Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings. Chris Rowland by far the most experienced guy out there. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be Will Anderson, the true freshman five-star, uh, that's going to be able to step up and assume a, a starting role for Alabama at the Jack linebacker spot. And you got Drew Sanders, another four, uh, five-star kid coming out of high school who's going to be able to provide a little bit of depth there. Uh, but I think – that is one of the big question marks is, is can they can consistently create a pass rush from the exterior? I think they'll be able to do a good job of, of getting interior pressure, but having that complimentary exterior pressure will be extremely important, especially when you're breaking in a few new guys uh, along the back half of your defense. The secondary, of course, replaced a ton of guys like Trevon Diggs, Shaheen Carter, uh, Jared Maiden, Xavier McKinney. Uh, several starters outside of Patrick Sertan are now gone. You're, you've got some guys with some experience there, but you also got some true freshmen like Brian Branch, Malachi Moore, who are going to be stepping into much larger roles. So if you aren't able to get a consistent pass rush on top of trying to break in a new secondary, allowing them to get a little bit of game experience, you could find yourself in a little bit of trouble. But the good news is you've got Missouri in week one. Uh, you don't want to take any uh, opponent lightly, but for the SEC and all SEC schedule, 
that's one of the ones you would have probably have wanted to have circled to try to get in week one to try to work some things out. And so that's good. So, you know, a lot of Alabama fans have kind of written off uh, Pete Golding and his ability to be a defensive coordinator. But just with that, what Alabama has returning, the, the depth they were able to continue to add through the 2020 recruiting class, I think Pete Golding is going to have a bounce back year. And the Alabama defense in general is going to have a huge bounce back year. Jumping over to the other side of the ball with obviously Tua off to the NFL, are you expecting, you know, a drop off in the passing attack? Or do you think maybe the experience Mac Jones got last year would just be invaluable this year? And kind of along with that, do you think we see Bryce Young take any meaningful snaps for Alabama this year? Well, first of all, I think that by losing Tua Tungvaloa like Alabama did last year, uh, you know, could you really imagine the situation we'd be in right now as far as trying to evaluate where Alabama's at as far as its quarterback battle if we didn't get those, you know, four or five appearances from uh, from Mac Jones last year? You know, we would be completely left in the dark. There'd be a lot of people who would be going ahead and assuming that Bryce Young would be the starter. But with what Mac Jones was able to do, you know, coming in and assuming that starting role, taking command of the offense, he earned the trust of his teammates. Uh, did a very good job of distributing the football when he would make a mistake, at least in the Iron Bowl, those two pick sixes. Following those mistakes, he showed the ability to bounce back in a very hostile environment there in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, and, and so I think he showed enough traits where you can feel pretty comfortable with the quarterback position if he ends up being the guy that looks like he's going to to at least start the season. And I fully expect with the talent that he's going to have around him, you know, the offensive line returning four out of five starters, Plus, they've been able to build up a ton of depth there. I think that's another spot where Alabama's probably eight or nine guys deep where they feel comfortable with eight or nine guys being in the starting lineup. you got depth along your offensive line. You've got plenty of experience. Uh, so they should be able to, uh, you know, whether it be in pass protection or run blocking, should be able to get, um, you know, do more than enough. I think they'll be one of the best offensive lines in the country. But, you know, uh, from a complimentary standpoint, the running backs and the stable they have with Najee Harris coming back, You've got Trey Sanders coming back from an injury, former five-star guy that's going to be able to add his, uh, himself into the mix, a couple of true freshmen who's going to add some depth. So you've got what should be considered an extremely strong running game with that offensive line, running back combination. You still have one of the best one-two punches at receiver in all of college football with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Uh, you've got a really deep stable of tight ends with Carl Tucker, the North Carolina grad transfer, moving over. So from an uh, from a, a weapons and, and guys around them standpoint, I think Mac Jones is in the perfect position to succeed. And it's not like I think that they're going to win in spite of a Mac Jones. I think there might be some occasions where they win because of a Mac Jones, just simply because of what he was able to show last year. But if he does have some mistakes, and I guarantee you he's going to, um, you know, he, he's not to a tongue of a lower. He doesn't throw with the same accuracy. He doesn't have uh, – there's, there's plenty of traits to like about Mac Jones. But what I really – respected about Steve Sarkeesian was his ability to to take a different kind of style quarterback in Matt Jones compared to Tua and kind of build the offense around him on the fly. And, and really what that did was that they started making Najee Harris the focal point of the offense. So I think you'll continue to see that. They'll rely on the run game, let Matt Jones play off of that quite a bit. So I think he's set up for success, which, you know, will make it very difficult for a guy like Bryce Young to come in and see any sort of meaningful snaps whether he's deserved that opportunity or not may not be, you know, the, the, the question, because I certainly think from what I've heard, he's a guy who's really coming uh, along strong. We all knew that he had it between the years and he had to want to, to be a, a really good quarterback early on in his career. So it, it isn't a knock on Bryce Young in any sort of way. It's just that I think that 
with everything surrounding Mac Jones and the experience that he has and the trust that he has with his teammates, uh, that might be, you know, very difficult for a guy like Bryce Young to overcome. So, you know, do I think that Bryce Young ends up getting any sort of meaningful snaps in 2020? I think at some point he has to. Uh, but at the same time, do I think that it's going to be extremely easy? Do I think it's going to be happening by, you know, October 3rd against Texas A&M or October 17th with Georgia? More than likely, I would say no. It might be something where you start seeing a little bit more of him down the stretch following the bye week in early November, uh, just depending on how things are shaking out and depending on how Mac Jones is doing, which I fully anticipate that he'll have a really good season for Alabama and end up being one of the, considered one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. So what's your biggest unanswered question you have for Alabama heading into the opener at Missouri? Well, I, I think I'm going to go back to the combination of the exterior pass rush and the secondary because I, I feel like that's potentially not a great combination. If, if they're not able to generate any sort of consistent pass rushing, and they can certainly do that from their interior and be somewhat fun. But what we saw back in the national championship game a couple of years ago against Clemson, you had the interior pressure from a guy like Quentin Williams. Uh, but the problem is, is Clemson was able to scheme him out of making any sort of significant impact. And Alabama didn't have the exterior pass rushers to be able to complement and, and uh, create problems for the Clemson offense. So it's that same kind of thing where if I feel like if you don't have at least one dominant exterior pass rusher, you can potentially put a lot more pressure on your secondary. And while I have a, a ton of uh, you know, confidence in Alabama secondary, especially their starters, I think at corner, the depth there is a little bit unknown. I don't feel necessarily great about it. But either way, you're breaking in new guys. There's going to be growing pains. And if you aren't able to generate a good exterior pass rush on top of having, you know, a secondary that's maybe susceptible to mental lapses at certain points in the game, that can make a huge difference. And so they're going to make sure that they need to make sure that they at least get one of those problems solved almost immediately. Because like I said, you know, Missouri might be considered one of the easier opponents in the SEC, but they're still an SEC team. They're still going to be someone that you have to prepare for. Someone, you know, uh, South Carolina versus Georgia last year. You know, South Carolina and Missouri, I would say, were in kind of comparable uh, spaces as, as far as the way they were viewed. And you got a team like Georgia who was kind of comparable to Alabama from a talent level standpoint who wasn't able to get the job done and it ended up getting beat. So anything can happen. And, and with the question marks, even though I don't think there's a ton of them, Alabama, it could end up being something where the combination of a couple of factors could make a huge difference, not just against Missouri, but if you can't get it fixed before uh, Texas A&M in week two, you could potentially have a problem there. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Um, but outside of that, I think Alabama's in pretty good shape pretty much all the way around. I mean, you, you don't want to try to overhype teams. Uh, that's certainly not been something that I enjoy doing. But when I go in and I say, you know, let me try to find something that I have a concern with. And, you know, I guess one of the areas that I could, as we're kind of talking, and this is on the fly, would be maybe the punter. Um, you know, I think that that's a situation that could potentially, we don't know who the starting punter is going to be right now. Sam Johnson, the true freshman, he's listed as the first team punter, but they got a bunch of oars between Charlie Scott, which is J.K. Uh, Scott's little brother, and Ty Piron. All three of those guys are still in the mix. And what we saw with J.K. Scott a couple of years ago to be able to flip build position in a lot of crucial situations, that can help uh, your team. So that might be an area of concern. Will Reichard coming back from an injury, uh, being the place kicker, 
I know Alabama fans always like, and, and I'm all for it. I like giving the, the Alabama kickers a hard time as well. <laughs> but when you, uh, but at the same time, when you look at Will Riker and what he could potentially be for Alabama, it might not be something that we can give them, uh, you know, a whole lot of grief about this season. So there are a few question marks, but nothing that is to a point where it would be a cause for major concern. Now that could change once we actually start watching some games and figuring out, okay, you know, the defense can't get off the field in third down situations again this year, or there's unnecessary uh, penalties that are prolonging drives. Uh, that You know, uh, the, the way that the offense is working as far as some of these guys having to step up uh, in the number one and number two roles like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, you know, they worked a lot better when you had Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs there taking a lot of pressure off of them. There, there's things that can creep up, but as of right now, uh, when I look at, at Alabama compared to a lot of the top national championship contending teams, there are very few that I would say I feel as confidently about as Alabama as far as being able to continue to sustain. But, you know, there's still question marks just like there is with any team. Well, let's flip the conversation over to Auburn because uh, it seems like, you know, the storylines, everything you hear about the Tigers, it all may come down to Bo Nix and how he fits in this new system we all know it's been an unconventional offseason. So how much confidence do you have that Bo Nix will take that big second-year leap without a traditional offseason, no spring? Uh, what's your confidence level that Bo Nix gets it done this year? Well, what's unfortunate with Bo Nix is that you look at what you would expect. Some of the biggest jumps that you'll see players make is between year one and year two at the quarterback position. And I was super excited and still am super excited to see Bo Nix there's a couple of factors in play. Uh, obviously, you're replacing four out of your five starters along your offensive line, although there are some people who believe this group could actually end up being better than last year's, even though they had a ton of experience last season. That group just never ended up developing to the degree that a lot of people had hoped. So it is possible, despite replacing four out of five starters, that they could end up being to a point where they're actually a better group, but you're going to have some, some growing pains there uh, the, the offensive line is going to need to gel. They've got new guys who have been coming in, Brandon Council, the guy from Akron, he's going to be going and starting at right guard for Auburn. On top of that, you talk about um, not having that traditional offseason. You didn't really get to have spring, summer stuff. You're trying to break in, being in a new offense with Chad Morris. This combination of things makes me a little less excited to see the second-year jump for, for Bo Nix, but that does not mean that he's not capable because I certainly think that he will be, and – the good news for him is he's going to have an extremely deep stable of running backs. Uh, you know, you can go four or five deep there with guys you can trust that should be able to allow you to, you know, maybe you lean on the run game a little bit as long as your offensive line can hold up as far as run blocking. You have a ton of weapons in the passing game, probably as, as many as really anybody in the SEC. So that those are the good sides. You know, that's the good side of, of where Bo Nix could potentially be in year two. I'm extremely excited for what he can be. And there are a lot of people who point to the inconsistency issues that he had last season. And, and I'll be the first to admit when you throw on some of the tape, there was some concerns with that in certain games, you know, against Georgia and, and others. But at the same time, it was kind of to be expected. You know, you got a true freshman guy, and, and it's not like, you know, he had somebody that he could turn and learn from in the quarterback room, you know, you talk about if Bryce Young were to become the guy this year for Alabama, he could turn around and learn from a, a guy like Matt Jones, potentially a guy who's been there, done it, seen plenty of reps. Bo Nix didn't have that last year. So, you know, him being able to get into an offensive system that I think Chad Morris is going to be able to bring to the table, which should be very uh, entertaining to watch, or at least I hope that it is. 
I certainly think he's a guy who can take that next step and become one of the premier quarterbacks in the SEC. But at the same time, there are a few things you got to look at and say, okay, it's not a guarantee. It's, it's more of a hope at this point, and we'll just kind of have to see. We'll know a lot. You know, come week one, Kentucky's defense, uh, you know, Jamar Watson is one of the top pass rushers returning in the SEC. they got a couple of other good defensive linemen, and, you know, there, it's probably going to be one of, if not the best, opening week games of, uh, of the SEC season. So I'll be watching that extremely close uh, and, you know, could probably tell you a lot more about how I feel about Bo Nix, but going off of what I know right now, there are plenty of things to like about his second-year leap, and there's plenty of concerns that need to be addressed. I think Kevin Steele's he may be the best defensive coordinator in the SEC. I think he's just done a tremendous job there the last couple of years. I think that's he's the only reason Gus still got a job because he's done such a good job, in my opinion. <laughs> How well do you think Kevin Steele will reload on this defensive side of the ball considering the massive overhaul with, in personnel? It, that's another area where there's concern. Uh, the defensive line, you lose Marlon Davidson, you lose Derek Brown, uh, your secondary uh there, there's been a lot of turnover there. But the thing what I like about Kevin Steele and what I like about Auburn is that they that's a, a spot where they tend to do a pretty good job of reloading and not having to rebuild a whole lot. And, and this should be uh, the case again. You know, Big Cat Bryant is a guy who's seen some action. He's going to have to take the next step in his development there at defensive end. Derek Hall, a guy who showed plenty of flashes, uh, wasn't really expected to be a year one contributor last year but was able to step up him playing the buck position is what actually allowed them to switch big cat to, to the defensive end role. Uh, you got Colby Wooden, who is kind of a surprise starter on the depth chart and interior defensive lineman. Uh, he's only six, four, 268 pounds, but Kevin still, you know, just a couple of weeks ago was talking about how he's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. I think he came in at like 230 pounds uh, last or before last season. Got who's been a guy who's probably been one of the more consistent uh, players along the interior defensive line for Auburn, like what he brings to the table. The linebackers are absolutely loaded. You know, th- them losing Kobe Wooden, that does, you know, kind of, that's going to be a pretty big hit, but you still got KJ Brett and Owen Popo, the Kobe McLean. They have options in the middle of their defense, and that's going to have to be what kind of runs the show to at least start the season and some of these guys start to step up. But I'm a huge Roger McCreary fan, I'm a huge Damian Sherwood fan. Smoke Monday is a guy who I think can be uh, one of the premier safeties in the SEC. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, Smoke Monday and Jamie and Sherwood were considered one of the top safety duos in all of the SEC. Uh, I think they have a, a ton of potential there. From a depth perspective, they might not be as deep as some of these other rosters, you know, like a Georgia or an Alabama. Um, but at the same time, they have some depth that at a couple of key places, and hopefully you can continue to build that depth. You know, T.D. Moultrie is a guy from an edge rusher perspective that I think is going to have to play a bit, pretty big part in the defense. You know, it's, it's guys like that that they're really going to need to step up, and if they can get that, you know, Zacavius Walker, the four-star top 100 prospect who, you know, came in as a strong side defensive end but got moved inside uh, to defensive tackle as well. He's listed number two on the depth chart. If you can get some contributions from those guys, I think that this can, could continue to be one of the better defenses in the SEC. And when you combine that, uh, you know, with, with what they might have offensively, it could actually end up complementing each other. Because like I said, I think Derek Hall has a ton of potential as far as his pass rush ability. Big Cat Bryant has some tools that, that, that I like as well if they can be a dominant pass rushing team, because as good as Auburn's defense was last year, they weren't necessarily a dominant pass rushing team. They didn't have that guy that was going to be racking up 10 plus sacks 
And, you know, when you combine potentially a high-powered offense that's going to be able to hopefully score points on the offensive side of the football, if you can complement that with a pretty strong secondary, which I think Auburn could still have on top of having guys who could get to the quarterback, pin their ears back and, and create, you know, some havoc, I think that it could be a complementary team from an offensive and defensive perspective, which, would you know, could realistically help Auburn still be super competitive in the, uh, in the SEC West. All right, final thing before I get you out of here, Clint. I don't want a record prediction just because, you know, it's a 10-game season. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. I think that's too difficult to just pin down a record. But by the end of the, the season, the regular season, what place Alabama going to be in the SEC West? What place is Auburn going to be in the SEC West? Ooh, man, that's tough. You know, obviously, I have to go Alabama being number one because I think they have the least amount of question marks of really any team. You know, with LSU and the turnover they have, whether it be coaching staff offensively, defensively, there's a, a lot of concerns there. And even if they replace 80% of the production they lost from last season, uh, th- that 20% is enough to kind of drop you from being a record-setting type of team to just being a, a solid team, getting you down there in that range of maybe being, you know, personally right now, until I actually see Miles Brennan and LSU, I've got LSU finishing fourth in the SEC West. And there are a lot of people who can't fathom that. And I understand, and, and it might be something where I'll look and say, man, I really can't believe that I thought that LSU could even possibly finish, you know, towards the middle of the SEC West. Look at how good they are. That's, that's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, when you compare that to, to Texas A&M, they've lost a couple of guys here recently that, that are cause for concern. Uh, I would venture to say Alabama finishes number one. I've had a tough time deciding between, you know, Texas A&M Auburn and, and I, you know, for the LSU, I really want just from name recognition and overall talent on the roster, I want to put them in the mix as well, but I've just continuously left them off. And so I think that, you know, Auburn finishes probably in that number two or number three range and could, you know, potentially finish with, you know, a seven and three record. Uh, it's possible they go like a six and four. I would probably say that would be kind of the floor uh, maybe, but it's possible they could also go eight and two. So, there's just a wide range of possibilities as far as how things shake out. And that's what will make this season really interesting. But I, if, I, if you are asking as far as projected finish, I would put Alabama at one, Auburn at three. All right. Well, you just lost us all our LSU listeners, so I appreciate that one. But uh, he's Clint <laughs> Lamb at Clint R. Lamb. Must follow for everyone out there who loves SEC football. Head on over to Roll Tide Wire. Check out everything he's written over there. Subscribe to the Bama Beat Podcast if you're not doing that. You're already doing it wrong. And he's got Auburn columns at Saturday Down South. Clint, I really do appreciate you hopping on and, and dropping some knowledge on us. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think he did an outstanding job. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on. And, you know, good luck this season. I know we're both going to be pretty busy, but I'm excited about it. So thanks for having me on. All right, Shane. So, I mean, he dropped more knowledge on these two than we probably have all off season. So, <laughs> I mean, that was some outstanding stuff there, wasn't it? Oh, it was great, man. And I love it. He's like, you're like, what's the weakness for Alabama? He goes, you know, you know that punting game. <laughs> That's when you know you got it good. You know what I mean? When the punter is your main issue, hell, you may not even use him this year. You know what? Absolutely, man. Yeah, I think Saban would just be like, well, hell, we'll just go for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no, this is good, man. Both sides of the ball, uh, you know, it's that's a – 
that's a rarity that you hear a one man that knows so much about Alabama and Auburn. So it sounds like he knows exactly what's going on in that state. This was uh, this was a great interview, man. I, I love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you want to follow him, his information is going to be in the show description of this podcast. So give Clint a follow for uh, helping us out here. Yeah, for sure. All right, Shane. Next, let's uh, jump on down to Rocky Top. Or the game, I know you got your eye on here. <laughs> Tennessee, South Carolina. I mean, this game, I've had, I've been on radio shows this offseason, and they've asked me, you know, is this the game that kind of means the most for both coaches to open the season? I think you can make a good point for that because, hell, we, we all know it's well chronicled Will Muschamp, the, you know, the warm seat he's on, and this would this would do a lot to – He's got the five-star quarterback committed. You turn around and you beat a Tennessee team. I think you're feeling good if you're a Gamecock fan. And on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, Tennessee, you know, they're trying to get to the top of the East. They're, they want to be at the point where South Carolina is just like a, basically an automatic W. And mm-hmm. the way they finished last season leads you to believe maybe they're on that path. But it's almost like two step forward, one step back if you're going into a new season and you're you've already fallen down to to South Carolina once again like you, you know, like you did so many years before last year. So I don't know, are you buying that that uh, this is the SEC game that means the most to both coaching staffs here? Oh man. Not really. I I'm not I think it's a very important game. After obviously. that intro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I I I, I, I do. I think it's a very important game, but I don't know. I, I think there's a. I think there's more riding on the the Auburn game, yeah. Just because if Gus drops that, just all that stuff I talked about the hot seat not being there, mm-hmm. dude, that's gonna be at the forefront, man. People don't realize how good Kentucky is and how you know how good of a ball game that will be. Right. And if Gus drops that, you know, fumbles that right out of the start of the out of the gate then, yeah, no, I think it's huge. And then if you flip the script, if if Mark wins, that puts him again on the map to be a coach that can be poached, man. I just – I think there's just more riding on that one than there is the Tennessee South. Now, this is a this is a big ball game. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. If South Carolina drops this thing, then we're starting about firing Muschamp and, and if Pruitt, you know, drops it, we just – you know, what – you know, he's he can't, he can't do an opening. I mean – you're about to hear some clips. There's about 10 questions asking him about the opening last year. They just, the, <laughs> there's not a lot of faith that coach Pruitt can get the, the, the job started this right. early. So, um, but I want to say this, Mike, just a little side note here. Twitter has been fantastic. Uh, I, I just want to throw that out there. I, I, I made a little joke about, um, uh, I mean, it wasn't even a bad one. I didn't think, you know, about Ryan Helensky losing the job, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But man, I stepped in a damn hornet's nest. <laughs> I didn't realize how how angry South Carolina Gamecock fans can be. You know, everybody telling me to drink less and stop tweeting so much. But <laughs> this is what we signed up. You turned for, into man. Mike Leach over here, buddy. <laughs> I, I did. I, I tell you, I, this is what we signed up for. This is what it's all about, Mike. We got two fan bases going at it. You know, and next week, Tennessee ain't going to care about South Carolina. South Carolina ain't going to care about Tennessee. We're on to our next victims, you know. So <laughs> I, that's that's what 
that's what's so cool about that's what I love about college football. Not only does it bring family together, but it gets it gets the blood going, man. It gets me through the week. I, this is all I'm thinking about. When I go and I'm driving my car and I'm listening to a podcast, I'm thinking about college football. When I'm at work, you know, I'm like, oh god, I wish I was able to go to the game this weekend. You know, it's just it's just all I'm thinking about. And Twitter has just been fantastic. It's just more fuel. So yeah, uh, maybe this game's a little bit more important to me now. Now that I kicked that damn nest, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm really interested to see it. I, I, I'm pumped up, man. I'm, I'm totally excited for this one. Well, let's kick it over to Jeremy Pruitt, who he better be fired up himself because uh, he's facing his old buddy, Mike Bobo. These two have go back a long ways. He used to be on the staff together under Mark Richt at Georgia. He talks about Colin Hill. He talks about his relationship with Mike Bobo. On the latest on Cade Mays' status, they're expecting an answer here fairly soon on learning from last year's opener. And then on, uh, remember, it was about two weeks ago, he said, hell, we we couldn't play a game if we wanted to on what's changed since that point. For South Carolina, your thoughts on what you'll be facing this week? I know they they named a quarterback, and it's not the guy who was there last year or who is who was start playing last year. They've, they're starting their transfer. So can you talk a little bit about that as you move forward through this week? You know, at the quarterback position, you know, Mike Bobo has always done a fantastic job coaching the quarterbacks. Um, you know, Hill will do – he's a guy that's been in the system there uh, for five years. This might be a sixth year. Uh, so, um, he's a guy that's going to be very familiar. He's going to get them in and out of checks, uh, keep them out of bad plays. So, um, it's a guy that we've got to find a way to um, to create confusion and, and, and try to possibly create some turnovers. Yeah, Jeremy, uh, have you been given any indication from the SEC or Greg Sankey whether they might rule on Cade Mays um, before this season opener? And uh, I guess how are you planning? Are you planning as if you might have him? Well, we, we, we've got no indication as of yet. I'm sure that they will. It just makes too much sense not to. Um, and, and we've planned all along um, for Cade to be able to play. Uh, you know, if you if you look at what went into the waiver process, it's it's pretty evident that the young man needs an opportunity to play or deserves an opportunity to play. Jeremy, several of your players last year called the opener an eye opener and, and a learning experience. What did you learn personally from last year's opener, and has it helped you uh, preparing for this Saturday? Well. Uh, if you turn the ball over five times and only get one turnover, you're not going to win. Uh, that didn't matter if that was the opener or the, the last game. That's the bottom line. You, you can't make mental mistakes. You've got to be able to get off the field on third down. You've got to score touchdowns in the red area. You've got to keep them from scoring touchdowns in the red area. Um, so it's the same thing with every week. Yeah, Jeremy, you've, uh, you've called Mike Bobo a friend, and I know he is for uh... – for coach friend as well. What do you most remember from going against Mike in practice every day at Georgia and how much does that familiarity help you in, in prepping for a game like this? Well, I mean, Mike's, he's a competitor, you know, playing against him in college, uh, coaching against him, coaching against him every day at practice, playing golf against him, uh, shooting pool. I mean, he's a competitor, wants to win at everything that he does. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's going to have a great, Get great game plan. His kids are going to play hard. Uh, they'll play together. Uh, so it'll it'll be a challenge for us. Gustavo? 
Coach, I remember in a press conference 15 days ago, you were happy that you were not playing the opener back then. You know, the, you didn't feel the team were prepared. Do you feel the team is prepared right now to the opener this Saturday? Compared to, to 10 to, days ago or 13 5th, days ago? Fifth, you're like kind of uh, glad that yeah. you guys were not playing back then. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. We've got 50 more players that are able to play this Saturday than we had that Saturday. All right, Shane. So, I mean, it sounds like Pruitt is getting pretty tired of answering these questions about, you know, struggling in the opener, getting his team ready, getting his team ready to go in the first month of the season. So, hey, it's put up or shut up time here. Oh, yeah, man. And you could tell. And that's like, I, I don't think coach is going to hold anything back. Like, if, let's just say hypothetically, I mean, this game, obviously there's going to be a team that wins this thing. But if Tennessee's up, don't think that Coach Pruitt ain't going to make a scene about, you know, because he wants to put that to bed, that that he can't coach, that he can't have his team ready by week one. There's a lot to prove for Coach Pruitt here. But uh, like I said, there's a lot more. I think there's more riding on on Muschamp, you know, coming into this thing. We've got a, we've got a coach that's already got his back against the wall. So uh, I, I think I think both programs got something to prove. And it's just going to be a tight – I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a tight matchup. And this thing may come down to the fourth quarter. It may come down to coaching. So if, if Coach Pruitt ain't on it, then he may lose it. So you just got to be ready. Mm-hmm. Well, let's kick it over to the other side of this, the – Columbia, South Carolina, where Will Muschamp met with the media on Tuesday, and he talked about uh, Colin Hill and kind of the leash, you know, on mm-hmm. on that quarterback and uh, how that's looking. Where you know a lot of people think maybe Helinski could see some action in this game. On why this training cap schedule may prove to be a good thing, I think you know Muschamp's making some good points here. On it sounds like he's finally, finally, finally. Well, at least he's saying it. We'll see if he actually follows through on. You know, giving up control of the offense. Now he's got Mike Bobo on staff. It's uh-huh. maybe a little bit different than guys he's had in the past. And then uh, on preparing for a Jim Chaney offense. Coach, uh, with your starting quarterback position, do you anticipate that uh, Colin is the starter from start to finish, or are you going to try to get a series or two where Ryan Helinski gets in there? Well, Colin's a starter, and no different than any other position. He knows he, there's an expectation for how he needs to play. Uh, no different than defensive end, wide receiver, running back. Um, you know, guys need to go play well, and if they don't play well, well, we'll we'll talk about a change. But it's Collins' game. Well, I know Collins gone through a lot, but he's a in-state guy who grew up following this program. Are there any concerns about the emotions coming out? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment he's going to have Saturday night. Well, I think you know, Colin, in the the time that I've gotten to know him, is a pretty calm demeanor. Uh, and I think he'll handle himself extremely well. Coach, um, with all the challenges of the pandemic, I'm curious, with the length of your camp, do you think in some part or some way that maybe benefited this team because of the lack of spring to try to build some continuity offensively as Colin Hill takes over and, again, trying to run that new offense on Saturday night? Well, Joe, I really like the fact to be able to have, you know, 25 practices in 40 days. Uh, I think that Time off in between practices is great learning, especially putting in a new offense. But it was also great for young players to be able to go back and walk through the next day in shorts, 
to be able to explain why instead of, you know, sometimes when you're in training camp, and I've referred to it drinking out, you know, uh, water out of a fire hose. I mean, it's just, it just keeps coming. It keeps coming. And, you, and as a young player, you're like, when does it stop? I mean, I, I've got to, I didn't learn yesterday very well. And you're already giving me something else to learn. So I think though that I, I wish we'd look forward to this model again. It is a longer camp, but I think that the contact day to day is less of on the players. We've had much less, uh, you know, injuries with the head in, 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 in camp than we've ever had. And I think that that's a, something we really need to look at as we continue to move forward. But there's no question uh, that this has been very beneficial to spread things out in camp when you're installing a new offense and you've got more time to cover the details of what you need to do to be successful. Well, with Mike's experience as a head coach, do you feel that allows you to, to focus more of your attention sometimes uh, with defense and special teams, or is that more of a, of a trust thing that comes as the season goes on from, from a head coach's perspective? Well, I've got great trust in Mike. He's an outstanding football coach, obviously being a head coach before. Uh, sure, he's, you know, until you've actually sat in the chair, you have no idea uh, of what you deal with on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis within the team, within the staff. But I've got a lot of confidence in Mike and trust in Mike to do a great job. Uh, you know, I coach on defense, I coach special teams, and I recruit, and I hire an offensive coordinator to run the offense, and that's what we're doing. What are, what are the biggest challenges in facing a Jim Chaney offense, and does some of the stuff that he kind of does – reflect sort of some of the stuff that Mike kind of wants to do with his offense? There's some there's similarities uh, formationally, run game, passing concepts. Uh, there's some similarities. I think Jim's experience, you're not going to hit him with one thing more than twice. He's going to make an adjustment on a pressure. Uh, you know, Will Friend, his offensive line coach, of course, was with Mike at Colorado State and at the University of Georgia. So there's, there's going to be a lot of similarities for both defenses on Saturday night. Um, but uh, but I think you know Jim's going to stay balanced. He's got great experience. He knows how to attack people and personnel. Uh, so th- those are all things because of his experience and and, and at the position, uh, I think he's really good at what he does. All right, Shane. So you know I got I took what the best Will Muschamp had to offer here on Tuesday. <laughs> Wasn't a, a ton here, but uh, mm-hmm. are we thinking that he? You know, given Mike Bobo's stature and, and, you know, his experience in the league and everything, and, hell, like I said, you could go up and down the SEC. I mean, this guy is well-respected. He's got connections with just about everybody because he's, he's faced everybody in this league. They know what he can do. Is this going to be the year that Will Muschamp finally stops meddling with the uh, offense? I don't know, man, because I want to say yes. Because Mike, Mike carries a big enough – I mean, he 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 went out of his way to get this offensive coordinator. Mike Bobo, as you know, was a fantastic coordinator at Georgia for a long time. You know, then he went out west. He did his own thing and whatnot. But you know, I think that was a kind of a deal. I would imagine because Mike Bobo had he had offers. It wasn't just South Carolina. He he came there. He chose South Carolina for a reason, and I guarantee that came up in conversation. It was like. Now, is this my baby or is this, you know, because you see it a lot of times, like we were talking about Gus earlier, you know, or you could see even with Saban back in the day, uh, you know, defensive minded coach. He, he didn't, he doesn't want to go up tempo. He didn't want to go fast because his defense was getting tired. So, you, you know, I, I, I think though, Mike Bobo had that conversation. So I think that's his baby. So when we see South Carolina's offense out here, there'll be no must champ. Now, don't 
think that he can't step in at some point and say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't think maybe Collins is the guy. Maybe we, you know, he may do something like that and dictate, you know, which quarterback's out there or, or maybe, you know, switch something up. But no, I, I think this is, I think this is Bobo's deal. Hey, final thing on South Carolina. This was just ridiculous, but uh, Will Muschamp announced that receiver Jalen Brooks did not get his waiver mm. from the NCAA. Now, South Carolina is appealing it, but this guy basically was uh, going to be either a starter or one of the best receivers on the team. And this is a guy that uh, we've been hyping up out of, you know, considering all the buzz out of camp. He was looking like one of the team's best receivers. And his story was uh, he played at a school called Wingate, small school. He was all-conference. And then this offseason he transferred to, I can't think of the name, but it's like Telic State or something weird like that. Mm -hmm. And then he got an offer to come to South Carolina. So he he technically transferred twice this offseason. I guess that's the hiccup. But, you know, since when is it not all right for these guys to go to FCS level, low level, to major college football, they should be eligible immediately. I mean, yeah, he, sh I mean he shouldn't even need a waiver. This is ridiculous. And mm -hmm. here, I mean, same thing with all these guys, Joey Gatewood and Cade and all this. We're, there's no eligibility this year. Yeah. Why in the hell are we holding these kids back? And and look at it this way. I mean, no disrespect to, to Wingate or where this kid was, but you don't think anybody on that roster, if – any SEC school said, hey, we, we have a need at your position. We think you could come help us. Come up here and, and play. I mean, everyone's going to make that move, I would think. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. This this just pisses me off. And this one's horrible, Mike. This one should this one should be released immediately. You We don't hold JUCOs out when they come from a JUCO school. It's not like this kid, out of all the transfers we've heard, you know, this isn't an SEC to SEC deal. Okay, this should be – think about the kid, okay? Th put yourself in that position. This kid's played football his entire life. He's just looking for an opportunity. He gets a, an offer for a, a college. It's not a Division One. He, you know, he works. He gets another offer. He gets it. But then South Carolina comes. This is his big break. And the NCAA is going to penalize him because he's doing something for the betterment of himself. Yeah, we're, we're losing the focus here, Mike. The, the kid is going to have more ability, more opportunities uh, getting to play for the University of South Carolina than he would for whoever, Tullahoma, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, let's just be realistic here. He's going to he's going to be on. He's going to be on freaking CBS uh, on, on ESPN every Saturday. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got game film against real opponents. So the NCAA looks at that and says, well, you know, he jumped here, he jumped here, and, and yeah, we're not going to. This decision, how, how long has this decision been holding in their back pocket? Here we are. What What is this? 20, what are we, the 22nd? Mm -hmm. We got freaking ball games in four days. And now we're getting this decision that he, he's not cleared. This is the dumbest thing I ever heard. Let them play. We're playing 10 SEC games. It'll probably never happen again. You know, mm -hmm. people are going to have unlimited eligibility. So, like, uh, there's a chance that we're going to see Garantano at quarterback next year. There's a good shot of it. But that can happen, but this kid can't play because he went from some no-name school to South Carolina? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. That should be like... 
instant approval. I, I how, how much longer we got to deal with the NCAA, man? <laughs> Seriously, is this it? Is this the last year? When's their contract up? <laughs> man, it, uh, all I got to say is uh, on his appeal that he should list himself as a quarterback. He'll be eligible tomorrow. Golly, appeal. Yeah, they should write three words: kiss my <laughs> ass. So dumb. Hey, well, uh, <laughs> still- what about the Ole Miss guy? Did he get cleared? Did he get shot down? Or are they still waiting? No, he's still waiting. What What are we waiting on? <laughs> I mean, we postponed college football in the SEC, Mike. What is the NCAA? What is so important right now? COVID? Is that what they're doing? Well, I I don't think they're making COVID decisions. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like most of the universities are making these decisions now. What what what's what's the holdup? Why do they do this every year? They wait to the very last minute. They send this thing off, and then we don't hear a reason why. You know, mm-hmm. it's oh, okay, I'm off of it. <laughs> Free them, Mike. Well, uh, hey, there's no good way to transition to that. But hey, we've got another. Like I said, we got another guest here, Shane. We got my buddy Jake Wimberly, <laughs> friend of the show, been on the show a couple of times now. I'm on his radio show all the time, the Afternoon Drive, ESPN Radio, 105.9 FM out of Jackson, Mississippi. I think he's the best radio host in that state. That's no disrespect to anybody else, but Jake is just that good. He's going to hop on the line here, preview Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and then we'll discuss it on the other side. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by uh, Jake Wimberly, friend of the show. You can follow him at Jake Wim on Twitter. And, of course, he's the host of the Afternoon Drive on 3 to 6 on ESPN Radio 105.9, the best radio host in the state of Mississippi, for my opinion, voice of the Brandon High School Bulldogs as well. And he runs CFBHourglass.com. Jake, thanks so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Mike, you're too kind, man. I always appreciate you guys. Love what y'all do. Well, hey, uh, you're my go-to man down there in the state of Mississippi, so, you know, we're getting into this season. It's finally here. It's after all this doubt all off season. you know, it was like, you know, we got a blessing from heaven. We got Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, and now it, it, for a moment there, it looked like we weren't going to get it. Now we're getting it, so we're fired up for the season. What's just your expectation level for this Mississippi State offense and K.J. Costello and, and all the hype that comes with uh, the Mike Leach system? Well, I tell you, you know, I I don't think uh, this is any any grand, you know, breaking any news here. But uh, I, Mike Leach's offense, I think, two years from now, if he's still in Starkville, which you should be, will look much different than it does this year. But so you go back and look at Mike Leach's offenses at Texas at Texas Tech and Washington State, and you know he made this thing home pretty quickly. Uh, I believe you can go back and watch game film on YouTube of when he was at Washington State early, and they went down to Auburn and just about knocked Auburn off uh, with a much different Washington State team than his last couple. So, you know, you expect a lot of throwing, obviously. Uh, the ball is going to be in the air a lot. You know, one of the things that Mike Leach has now that he's never had, and he's had some good running backs, but he's never had an all-SEC type running back, a guy in Kylan Hill that could possibly be taken into the first two rounds or three rounds of the draft. And I think that is a different dynamic in itself. You know, Dan Mullen uh, didn't do Joe Moore had a lot of favors or any favors, really. He didn't leave him a ton of receivers, and Joe Moorhead didn't do any better really beefing that thing up. So Mike Leach has had to go out and find JUCO transfers, a transfer from Alabama, um, and some other guys. And his starting four wide receivers on the depth chart, you know, if you believe those things, are guys that didn't even start last year. Austin Williams and, uh, you know, several other guys that are going to be starting. So 
you know, this thing is going to be a, a work in motion. Uh, Gardner Minshew, who is with the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, as you referenced, Brandon, I had a chance to see all of his games, call every game he had in high school. Gardner's a friend, and, and Gardner told me when he was at Washington State, he said, hey, we rotated 11 different receivers every ball game. He said they all could play. Um, and ultimately, I think that's where Mike Leach wants to go this weekend, is to be noted eight receivers in the rotation. Now, you mentioned Brandon there. If I'm not mistaken, the freshman quarterback, Will Rogers, he's from Brandon, right? That is correct. He was actually, uh, you know, just a story on that real quick, revisionist history. Um, his father is the offensive coordinator for Brandon, uh, Wyatt, a very good guy. He's a friend of mine. And Wyatt is, is a phenomenal football mind. Um, and uh, Ole Miss guy as well. So it was kind of funny seeing Wyatt, you know, around town wearing Mississippi State stuff when, when Will committed to Mississippi State. But, yes, Will came in behind Gardner, uh, was really, you know, just a child when, when Gardner was coming through. And so I had an opportunity to see both quarterbacks. And, and Will's got the stuff. I'm not surprised to see him running number two behind behind K.J. Costello. Uh, you know, a different, different deal running it in high school, but they ran a version of, of the Air Raid and have, have done for a long time at Brandon High School. A little bit different deal this year, but that's another story. But, yeah, I'm not surprised to see Will running number two behind K.J. He's, he can make every throw. He's got the size and, and expect him to be a starter at some point in Starville. All right. Now, you kind of hit on it, but uh, the receivers, you know, they didn't have a, a lot of experience or, or productive guys coming in there. But uh, what do you think is their potential, given the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be emerging, like you said, in their first year in the Mike Leach system? Yeah, you know, if you look at Mike Leach's offense, and again, it's kind of a twofold deal here. He's He's been inside the top 10 offensively in the country over the last 10 or 11 years. So, you know, if you say, okay, well, you expect uh, based on prior, you know, have Mississippi State as a top 10 offense in the country. Now, playing in the SEC is a little different animal when you're talking about the defenses that they'll be facing. So, you know, I think that you just need to see, first off, guys get separation, uh, make this offense work. There's not a lot of guys on this on this roster right now that uh, have shown in the past that, that they can actually get separation and get open. This thing, though, is, is an offense that works quickly. Uh, the quarterback has to get the ball out of his hands quickly. So it'll be interesting to see if Mike Leach does, in fact, use, um, you know, a, a plethora of wide receivers, eight, or does he go, he's got two pretty good tight ends. Does he add the tight ends back into the game, maybe as a flex-type player? Does he use Mike Leach? You know, it's, it's, it's all about, um, you know, finding the guys that, that are that – are, able to make plays and get open. And basically what I mean is this, um, you know, we were told Mike Leach, one of the things that he loves to do at halftime is go around the room and say, okay, who hasn't caught the ball? And it's not necessarily about, you know, getting those guys the ball. It's like, okay, who have we not utilized? What can we do schematically that we can take advantage of that basically the defense is not paying attention to? So, you know, Mike Leach and that staff, when they put the headsets on, on, on Saturday against LSU and moving forward, this is a staff that's been together for quite a while. Uh, Steve Spurrier Jr., highly regarded, uh, you know, as far as an offensive type coach, no, not surprised, surprising to anybody. Uh, but this is a staff that knows how to coach together. They uh, will be putting on the headsets for, you know, again, uh, for the first time in, in, a, in a long time, but they've done it a lot together. So, you know, I, to answer your question a long way around the world here, uh, just expect to see them get open to, to catch footballs. Got to catch footballs. If they can't do that, then this thing isn't going to work. But uh, a lot of weight on the shoulders of the wide receivers to, to make this offense even get close to the top ten of the country. Now, Mississippi State's defense kind of went off a cliff last year. They got uh, first-year defensive coordinator Zach Arnett coming in there, expected to run a 3-3-5 type defense. And, you know, you kind of mentioned it there. you got to take these depth charts with a grain of salt. But 
when they put this thing out this week, I'm scratching my head at a lot of who are these guys they got in the starting lineup here. So, I mean, are you expecting Mississippi State to, to field a competitive defense this year, or do you think this is kind of a project? I think it's a project. Uh, you know, we were talking about some of those guys yesterday on my radio program, and some of the guys, I'll be honest with you, not a lot of people know who they are. Uh, these are guys that are, are young. Uh, these are guys who have fought their way through camp, who have obviously impressed the, the defensive staff. Uh, as you reference, reference Mississippi State as a shell of itself from several years ago. Uh, when, you, when you watch cut on the NFL on Sundays, I mean, you're seeing guys like Jeffrey Simmons and uh, Willie Gay, uh, you know, and even go back as far as Chris Jones and, and, and uh, you know, Jonathan Abram, who uh, is, is really doing well with the Raiders. So there's not those type of guys on this defense. You know, they're going to have to scheme their way. Uh, they're going to have to try to get the most mileage out of some guys that uh, you, you may not have expected them to do. So I do think it's somewhat of a project. And look, if this defense, you know, play in behind an offense, it's going to be, you know, fast and, and, you know, on the field and off the field. If they, if they can keep opponents in the low twenties, I, I, you know, on average, I think that's a win for this defense this year. So what's the biggest question you've got for Mississippi state heading into the opener against LSU? Uh, probably the offensive line and, and how this offensive line, you know, you're talking about a bunch of guys who, uh, and, and of course the defense, I, I do want to see defensively what the linebackers look like, what this young secondary does, um, you know, against an LSU team that's, you know, regardless of the fact that they have lost so many players, LSU's defense or offense, rather, they're up, uh, wide receivers. They're going to be talented. Can they cover? And, and what does Miles Brennan, you know, can Miles Brennan make it his first start as an LSU Tiger, uh, Mississippi native, going up against a very young Mississippi State defense and, and secondary. But the offensive line, I want to see how they work uh, because Mike Leach's offensive lines work totally different than, than most offensive lines. These guys were – a lot of them recruited to be, you know, road graders, run blockers, and then now you're going to ask them to pass block basically on an island, uh, very wide splits, uh, a different deal. Now, obviously, these guys have had a, a lot of reps in camp. But what this offensive line looks like, and can they protect K.J. Costello? That's the thing. If you can't protect him, they can't throw it. All right, so skipping over to uh, Ole Miss, we obsess over who's going to be the starting quarterback. That's the question these coaches face every press conference. So I'm not too worried about – who starts the season, I'm worried about who get, who gets more snaps under center by the end of the season. So which direction are you going with Lane Kiffin first year at Ole Miss, Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley? which quarterback uh, gets the most action this year? I think right off the bat, when the, when the huddle breaks on the sideline Saturday at 11 o'clock, I think it's going to be Matt Corral. Uh, based on all the reports we're hearing out of Oxford, you know, John Rice Plumley. Uh, He's had a couple dings in, in his preseason camp. And, you know, I had, uh, David Johnson, give him a shout-out and a plug here, 247sports.com. He made this reference, uh, covers Ole Miss on a daily basis. He said, hey, you know, they haven't been able to they've, – they've limited, like most teams, the, the contact and the hitting in practice. And, and John Rice Plumley is a guy that makes things kind of happen after the hitting starts. So, you know, you're not going to see the same practice player as you would say the game player. And that was kind of the deal last year when, when he came in um, a lot of people didn't realize he could really do what he did. And then, of course, he started doing it. But I, I do think to answer your question, it's going to be Matt Corral. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lane Kiffin go to go to Plumlee if things go south pretty quickly. But one of the things we know about Kiffin and the way we watched him, especially at Alabama, with Blake Sims and then uh, Jalen Hurts, I mean, he can take different types of quarterbacks and then, you know, build a scheme and build an offense around them. And, you know, he's got some pieces to work with in the backfield with Jerry Ely. Uh, Elijah Moore, Jonathan Mingo at wide receivers. So he, he's got some pieces to work with. 
uh, some transfers there, tight end, and some others. It's just you know, can these quarterbacks get it get it done? And I think I think it's Matt Corral early, and if things go south pretty quickly, it could be John Rice Plumley. Probably end up seeing both. Now you reference some of the pieces they've got on that offensive side of the ball. They do have a lot of skilled players, a lot of young skilled players in particular. Do you have confidence that Lane Kiffin can kind of put these pieces together and and potentially Ole Miss have you know one of the more surprising offenses in the SEC this year? I do. I, I really do. I've always liked Lane Kiffin as a, as a play caller. Uh, just me personally. I mean, you can go back to Tennessee when he was at Tennessee. I thought he did a pretty good job there. Again, what he did at Alabama. Now that's different talent. We we understand that a different metric, different level of player uh, at Alabama than say at Ole Miss. But there's some nice players. I mean, Jerry Ailey could probably play on any team in the Southeastern Conference at running back. Um, Elijah Moore would be in the two deep probably just about anywhere at wide receiver. So yeah, I think it's just going to take Lane Kiffin some time to figure out. You know, this guy needs to be uh, in, in this in this part of the mix, so to speak, or this portion of the equation. And then you know, once he does that and figures out what this team does well. Uh, I, I think that, that, yes, they will have a really good offense. Now, Saturday is a different deal, taking on a Florida team that by many could win the Southeastern Conference. I mean, this could be uh, the best team that Ole Miss plays all year. We'll see what that Florida team looks like. But I, I wouldn't judge Lane Kiffin on Saturday, but I think when we get through the year, I think you're going to see this is going to be an offense that's going to put some points on the board. All right, so let me ask you this. With uh, the new hires with Kiffin and Leach, you know, we all know this Egg Bowl, it's still going to be a heated rivalry in that state, but – does it lose any of the, I don't know what you want to say, hatred that has been in this thing lately? Because it, it seems like these guys are pretty friendly. Yeah, you know, I, it, it, you bring up an interesting deal there. We've seen, like all rivalries, I mean, the, the rivalry is always there between the fan base, between the fan bases. It doesn't matter if it's the Iron Bowl or Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, or Ohio State, Michigan. The rivalry is always there, but Sometimes the coaches do change the dynamics of the rivalry. Um, you know, we saw Jackie Sherrill and Tommy Tuberville back in the 90s. That was about as, as nasty as it got. Those two guys did not like each other, and they were not shy uh, back in those days. I'm, I'm telling you, you can go back to Billy Brewer before that and Jackie Sherrill. Uh, and then you fast forward, you had Ed Orgeron and Sylvester Croom. That thing from a coaching standpoint was pretty friendly. I mean, it wasn't uh, a lot of words spoken. Uh, both guys, you know, said, hey, you know, when it got to, they ignored the other team and they got to that point in the ballgame, it was an important ballgame. Then, of course, Dan Mullen and Hugh Freeze, uh, you know, there was a lot of gas on that thing. So to answer your question, you know, Leach and Kiffin have, uh, have, have been open about being friends. You know, when the state flag was changed uh, here several months ago down at the state capitol, uh, all the coaches in the state, and that's from, you know, basketball, football, baseball, from all of the universities, junior colleges and all, met down at the Capitol for the rally for the, to change the state flag of Mississippi. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a video clip out there of Leach walking by Kiffin and pulling his mask down, just messing with it, you know, his face mask. So, I mean, these two guys, I think there's a mutual respect there. I don't think these two guys are going to get caught up in the, in the mudslinging, um, which is probably good for this state. There was a lot of mudslinging between, you know, the Mullen regimes and the freezes. And then, you know, even down to, to Luke and, 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 you know, those guys. So, I think the state needs a break from the, the gas thrown into the dumpster fire, so to speak. And I, I don't think you're going to see those two guys go down that road. I think it'll still be a very entertaining ball game. I think it'll be a very competitive ball game, a game that both coaches will be adamant that they need to win uh, when they get to that point. But I don't think it's going to be the focus of either team, you know, 360 days out of the year. All right. Last question for you, Jake. I'm not going to ask you for a record prediction just because, you know, 10 game SEC slate 
And who knows what's going to happen this year with, with just the wonky schedule. So I think it's too hard to predict the schedule or the records for these teams. But if you had to make a prediction, the end of the season, where is Mississippi State in the SEC West standing and where is Ole Miss in the SEC West standings? I'm going to say State is going to land somewhere around spot number five and Ole Miss is spot number six. And I think the Egg Bowl, uh, honestly, will probably determine that. Uh, I've, I've got them, you know, we were joking about this uh, as we talked about Arkansas on the program today. Is You know, and Arkansas should be improved. Uh, Sam Pittman should, uh, I, I think, you know, make them play or get these guys at Arkansas to play at a much higher level than, than the you know last few years. But is State and Ole Miss more in the realm of Arkansas or are they more in the realm of a Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M? And I think it's a no-brainer. They're on the back end of that. It doesn't mean they can't, you know, have a season or two where they live in the middle to the upper half of the SEC West. But to answer your question, I think State at five, Ole Miss at six. Both teams, uh, you know, they still need a lot of a lot of players, a lot of depth, and and they need uh, you know some time for these coaches to really make them a formidable a formidable opponent in, in that division. All right, he's Jake Wimberly. You got to give him a follow on Twitter at Jake Wim. And again, he's the host of the Afternoon Drive on ESPN Radio 105.9, the voice of the Brandon Bulldogs. And you got to check out cfbhourglass.com. Jake, thanks again so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Hey, anytime, man. I appreciate it. You guys enjoy the game Saturday. We'll talk soon. All right, Shane. So what are your thoughts on that, uh, old Jake? Dropping the knowledge on Mississippi State. And hell, he's been knowing the – the mustache since before he was a household name. And now he's got the inside info here on Will Rogers, Mississippi state's, you know, sensational true freshman. That's probably going to see some action this year, but man, it seems like uh, that's just a series that I I'm just dying to see these two play Ole Miss and Mississippi state. You know, the biggest thing I, I you know, there was a lot of great content in there. First off, if you're not following this man, you, you you're messing up. You need to get on there right now. This guy knows everything about Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But what really stood out to me, man, was the confidence of Lane Kiffin. Are are we overlooking? I mean, because listen, Mike, you know I missed a day this week, and that's when you rolled out your uh, your your SEC predictions, mm-hmm. and you had Ole Miss down there at the bottom. And I'm listening to Wild Man here tell us that we may be over. You think? Lane Kiffin's been poor mouthing us this whole time because, you know, lately he's been coming out saying, you know, oh, God, this is a three-year bill, blah, blah, blah. But he's right, man. There are a lot of weapons down there. Do you, and, and if anybody can get these guys involved, it's going to be Lane. Are we overlooking the fact that Lane Kiffin's calling offense down there in Ole Miss? I mean, I probably am, considering what I've been saying about him. I hope I'm dead wrong for those Ole Miss fans. And, hell, we even got uh, – if anybody knows this name, Jim Dunaway, he's the host of, uh, you know, the number one station there in Alabama, WJOX. He's picking Ole Miss to upset Florida outright. So, hey, maybe I'm just missing everything. That, that's definitely possible. I think, I think I am sleeping on them Rebels. Yeah, man, I think I think so too. I mean, just what he was able to do at FAU. And, you know, what he did at Alabama, he took a damn running back mm-hmm. and made him an all-star quarterback. So, yeah, maybe maybe we are overlooking Ole Miss. I, I mean, obviously, they've got some work to do. I'm a little discouraged about how far along they are with recruiting. But that all changes with wins, man. That all changes when your offense is fun. 
when your team is fun. And Ole Miss has showed us in the past that they can be fun, and it can be a, a spot to get athletes too. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm pumped up about this game. I, I, I don't think Dan Mullen's overlooking them, you know, because I think there's that hate factor there of, of Ole Miss. But is it fair to say that Dan Mullen hates Ole Miss more than Coach Leach right now? Oh yeah, for, yeah. For I mean, sure. Okay, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I think I think that hatred's still going on. So I, I'm looking forward to this game for sure. All right, Shane. Last stop here. We got Texas A&M. We got Vanderbilt. My God, Shane Vanderbilt finally <laughs> finally is giving me some information here. So we got take it down comments from Coach Mason. Been waiting all training camp for that. But uh, <laughs> let's start here in College Station. Giga Maggots. Where Jimbo Fisher was asked about you know, the recent opt-outs and how big of a surprise that is. Uh, he talked up Derek Mason's defense and then on Kellen Mond's reaction to losing his number one receiver and good buddy Jamon Osmond to an opt-out. Hi, Coach. Wanted to ask you about the op- opt-outs of Jamon and Anthony. And, and it, if those caught you off guard at, at all, and also who are some of the guys who are stepping up in those roles in their absence? Uh, I mean, listen – I don't mean this. Yes, I mean, they're always keeps you off guard because you hate to lose those guys. But at the same time, all the things that have happened out there today in this world in, in the recent times, there's so many different things, the way they affect young men, the way they affect families. And we don't always know the family effects that they've had and what those families have dealt with, not just from each them, but, you know, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, moms, dads, brothers, sisters. That's all. There's a lot of things that happen. So we wish those guys nothing but the best, but you know we'd love to have them. But at the same time, we understand and respect everything they do because both guys are outstanding. I mean, they're outstanding students, they're outstanding people, have done a great job for us. But that's just the times we're in right now. I mean, it's it's unprecedented times and things like this, from guys that could, could test positive to opting out. There's just things you got to be prepared for as a coach right now that you know you're trying to do as best you can. And, and I guess from a practical standpoint, it's a little bit frustrating when a guy eats up quite a few reps in, in camp and well, then exits less than a week to a game. I don't think it's because the way we practice in camp, everybody's getting the same amount of reps. There's not a rep that we couldn't be given. They're all got the same amount. We practice ones, twos, threes, and fours. And I, I know people don't – they literally get the same amount of reps. If you're a four or you're a one, by the way we practice. So from that standpoint, he didn't eat any reps up. And like I say, that's the time. And – those decisions and the way things affect people happen at different times, and we respect that. And, no, I don't think that hurt us at all. Thank you. Thank you. Next question is from Chip Howard from Sports Talk. Jimbo, what is it about uh, Derek Mason's defensive schemes that seem to give so many teams trouble? <laughs> they're extremely diverse, extremely technical, extremely well coached, and they're disciplined in what they do, and they play very hard and physical. I mean, other than that, I mean, knows how to call it. I mean, knows how to leverage you, knows how to pressure you, knows how to uh, make you do things you don't always want to do, trying to force you into different things in which you, you, know, you don't always want to do the easy way out. Everything is a fight. He makes you earn every yard. There are no gifts. Something, you know, you always say as an offense coordinator, look, well, you, if you got that and you got that, you know, there's some yards there I can get consistently in that that I feel good about or I'd have a good shot. You don't find him with Derek. It's, 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 he's done a great job. And then you combine Ted Roof, who I've known Ted a long time, coached against him. Ted is a very good football coach, too. And you combine those two guys and what they're doing, it's a very difficult preparation. And then their players play hard and they're very physical. Hey, Coach, uh- you talked about Vanderbilt's defense, so um, you know they, they could cause some trouble. When you're looking at the the off this offense, especially the wide receivers, how young they are, 
what do you expect and what are you going to be looking for out of them in week oh, one? Oh, you're going to get multiple coverages. You're going to get blitzes. They're going to test you. They're going to jam you. They're going to zone you. They're going to, I mean, they're going to, they're going to rotate safeties. They're going to rotate, I mean, from three to three buzz to three, three bonus. I mean, they're going, they're going to quarters you. They're going to trap you. I mean, it's very multiple. And the good thing about that is our defense does a lot of the same things as far as the multiplicity of things you do. So what you practice against daily is really good. We always still do good on good a bunch. And we have, you know, had all camp and we always do during the season. So hopefully that will help. But, I mean, they'll challenge them not only physically, but they'll challenge them, challenge them mentally also. Jimbo, did you see any difference in Kellen's demeanor or leadership when you lose, when he loses Jamon, who's his best receiver and a good friend? You know something? He's been, from the day he got here, this, this camp hasn't changed a lick. And it's been outstanding. His demeanor, his, his, his ideas with the team, the way he's played, his personality, his influence on guys, the way he's pushed guys, it's been exactly the same. When, when Jamon elected to do that, which I know it, it didn't, but I think what you saw was the maturity out of Kellen. You didn't see anything different. I'm sure inside it hurt him, and I know it did, but I think it also, you know, the responsibility he has to this program and to his other teammates, I think is a tribute to him about how he's handled that situation to me. I, I, I don't mean that. I'm sure inside him, you know, he hates, but it's, it's been the same Kellen the whole time. And at quarterback, you've got four or four different guys. Have you whittled it down to two privately, or privately do you know who your starter is? Privately, I've whittled, I've whittled it down to two, and I understand exactly, you know, where where I want to go. Me and Coach Fitch talk about it every day. I think uh, our reps really reflect that. And so, you know, for us, man, we're just going to, you know, stay on task and, you know, we'll line up versus Texas A&M on Saturday, uh, you know, with the new quarterback under center for the 2020 season. Obviously, it's a challenge for you guys in a normal year in this league with the talent, the depth that you face, even – you know, some of these bigger schools that have walk-ons that, uh, you know, help fill out the ranks. How big of a challenge is it for you to go into a season with 10 SEC opponents? I mean, compared to, like, the normal season. Yeah, I, I, for me, I think it's a great opportunity for this, this football team, man, to get better. Uh, you know, I mean, you play 10 SEC opponents, you know what you're getting every week. Um, we're going to have to, you know, look at, um, and playing, uh, you know, with several several young guys like in this group, and that's okay. I mean, we've had to play young guys before, so that's 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 nothing new. Um, and the idea of you know having you know X available offensive linemen, that's something that everybody in the SEC is going to have to deal with, like in 2020. Okay, whether we're talking about you know testing, whether we're talking about uh, you know injuries, it's just it's, it's just par for the course. So for us, um, and we're fully equipped. Uh, and then to figure out exactly what tactical and strategical moves are, are going to be needed and necessary for us to function um, in, in 2020. So right now, I mean, I'm focused on game one. We understand it's Texas A&M, and I, I've, I've got to get ready for this week, and that's what we're doing. On the offensive side of the ball, mm -hmm. you know, how, how different is it going to look, you know, just the way you guys attack things with our system? <laughs> it's... It's going to look different than, than definitely what we look like in 20, 2019. Um, I, I think Andy was creative in terms of what Andy uh, uh, was able to fit together and put together for us. But th this is, 
uh, different and unique. We're we're gonna we're gonna attack teams with different personnel. Uh, he understands the strengths of who we have. Um, and we've got some young guys that people don't know about or haven't really seen play um, in, in live football. But I mean, they've shown well in practice, so we'll we'll see. But this is definitely about moving the stress around. Uh, like the stress isn't gonna uh, completely be on the offensive line. Okay, it's not gonna be on the receiving core. Uh, man, we're going to take some stress off the quarterback, but everybody's going to have to work together to make plays. That's why we talk about being united. You know, everybody's got to be accountable for doing, you know, in their part. But I think it's going to allow us to, to, you know, put the ball out in space at times. It's going to allow us to go tempo at times. It's going to allow us to uh, go from, you know, uh, spread groups to big groups to, to just be able to give us, you know, tactical advantages when we need them. And so I, I think that's the important thing. Um, and it's not going to be one thing. I mean, you're not going to see us just, just you know, I mean, line up in in uh, you know 12 personnel or 22 personnel and 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 try to run power or or counter. But uh, man, we're going to attack teams uh, where we feel we can get a tactical advantage based on uh, personnel and how we shift uh, uh, you know our formations and or get guys lined up in spots where we feel like we can get them the football. And I think that that's that's what's been fun to watch. He's made this offense turnkey for these guys, even these young guys. So talented young guys can get on the field and play. And that's in every position, whether we're talking about, you know, up front, whether we're talking about at the quarterback position, if need be, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, like receivers outside. Everybody's got a chance. If you're a playmaker and you got a specific skill, this offense is built for you. All right, Shane. So I think this is one aspect you know, everyone's assuming Vanderbilt's just going to get killed in this game, but now all of a sudden we've got a Texas A&M receiving core with virtually no experience of it, of any count, and we've got Derek Mason, one of the best defensive minds in the SEC, mm-hmm. scheming up against, you know, a system that may not be able to attack him on the perimeter. I'm thinking all of a sudden Vanderbilt may have a, you know, a real distinct advantage at uh, – in slowing down A&M's passing game this week. <laughs> yeah, sure, Mike. You know? I do. Uh, I really do. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. At first, I will say this. It was really nice hearing Coach Mason again. Yeah, you know, we we pride ourselves in trying to cover all teams in the SEC. And you sent over this, this clip, just behind the scenes real quick. Mike will send me uh, an edit list that he makes. So it's, it's all the coaches, all the, all the interviews and everything like that. So I can listen to it on my ride home from work. And, uh, dude, coach Mason came on with that golden voice. And <laughs> I, it's just, I forgot how much I enjoy listening to him. So it was really good. And again, just the instant, you know, we, I, I don't know if it's me or, or, if, I don't know. Maybe it's in a lot of people's DNA, but this that underdog. You always pulling for the underdog. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people are, are are counting out Vanderbilt. And don't get me wrong, I'm a Tennessee Ball fan. <laughs> I mean, we don't like Vanderbilt, but I like Coach Mason's story, and and I think I think he's got a lot of pressure on him this season, and there is a lot of continuity going to be up there in in Vanderbilt, uh, obviously they're bringing this, back everybody on defense. Everybody. I, I know. I, that's now the defense scared. was terrible, but they're bringing them all what? back. <laughs> they're bringing them all back. I mean, something you were talking about earlier with the offensive line, when, you know, when you go to your second season and you've been around the same group, you know what to expect, you know, their weakness, you know, where they'll be, you know, they, they've got your back. I think 
that says something, especially with, with an off season, we didn't get a lot of practice in, Mm -hmm. you know, even though the, the, the the group, the division itself is, is, is not, you know, five stars or anything like that, but that continuity, man, that's why a lot of people are talking about Kentucky's offensive line is because they got, they've been around for so long. They know each other. They're, they're good. They've built and, and coach Mason knows defense. What were we talking about all offseason last year? Vanderbilt with these, you know, outstanding offensive players, running back, receiver, tight end, mm-hmm. all SEC type players. And, you know, I think maybe they were reading their press clippings because they didn't, or they, yeah. they weren't utilized. They didn't, I don't know, they didn't buy into the system. I don't know, but it's a new system, completely new system, completely new players. And at the end of the day, I think that's going to be a blessing in disguise for Vanderbilt. And I don't know. I've just got a feeling here that uh, I think we're all overrating A&M now, and I think we're underrating the Commodores. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I I, I do. And there's something about the underdogs, man. You know, I just – there's a part of me that wants this to be – I don't want to see blowouts. What was the spread on this one, like 20-something points? 30 and a half. I mean, come on, man. This SEC, I, I like closer games. I'm sure Jimbo would love a 30-point win, but uh, I, I think if you come into this game just thinking you're going to steamroll them, because how many times in the past have you done an SEC game and, I mean, you don't play anybody week one usually. I mean, you're not playing another SEC team. You know, you're playing Charleston Southern or, you know, or some other Georgia team. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Right, <laughs> right. You're just easing into the season. Well, there is no easing into the season this year. So mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that bodes well with with teams like Vanderbilt, um, with teams that uh, that have a lot of continuity already coming into the thing. I mean, they know what to expect, even though they didn't get all the practice. Well, actually, if you if you wanted to be honest, Vanderbilt kind of did get all their spring practices in you know if, mm-hmm. if you remember the COVID thing shut down after they got theirs going so uh so there's a there's a slight advantage so i don't know maybe i'm just making something out of nothing all right Chad. well that's all i got on this mega mega podcast here the middle of the week <laughs> hell i don't know who else is doing this five episodes a week sec football and we got more interviews coming we're scheduled yeah. to have Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, breaking down Georgia, Jason Swain, Swain event, talking yeah. some Tennessee football. So, hey, we got more great stuff coming the rest of the week. And, we, hell, we even got more interviews lined up other than those. So, hey, it's going to be one heck of a week. We're getting so, so close to these games. I can <laughs> feel it. And, man, Kobe can kiss my ass. We're going to play this <laughs> season, baby. That's it, man. I'm ready for football, man. Uh, I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for the the, the Gamecock fans, man. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting out here with them. I, I mean, we're it's it's we're fight week, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we we're gonna we're gonna love each other next week, but this week, man, we got a ball game to do. So <laughs> that's what college football is all about. I love it. I'm loving every minute of it. I mean, some I'm telling you, man, some of the guys that. That I've I've been talking with a long time. They've they've loved me to death. I've loved them. I've 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 pumped them up. You know, I I was all bored, man. You know, I talked about Marshawn Lynch. You know, or Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lloyd. I talked about Marsh. Yeah, cut that part out. I talked about Marshawn Lloyd. You know, I was on the Holinsky train. I did all that, but this week you played Tennessee. 
You know? <laughs> so, this week I'm going to poke fun of you. But if you beat me, I'm going to mute my Twitter for like three days, and then we'll get on to the next team. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, well said. I think that's going to do it for this one. Uh, Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go Vols.